When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome, everybody. This is another episode of the Mind Sculptors podcast. I am your host, Callahan, and joining me today is uh, all the way up from the that that country up north is my good friend Pongo. Pongo, how are you doing today? Doing uh, all right. Um, it's been a day. It has certainly, certainly been a day, um, but we've got another one of the awesome Sculpty Boys in with us today, um, another friend here from the States. Uh, you guys know him as the madman himself, Cobblepot. Cobble, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm here at least. It's been a day, indeed. <laughs> it's certainly, sometimes just being here is uh, the most you can do, depending on how things go. Getting here um, is half the battle. Exactly. Um, but joining us today, too, we have a special guest, uh, as you probably saw in the thumbnail of the video, um, is somebody we just did some gameplay with. Um, There's somebody that we've been watching their channel for a while. We enjoy their content. Um, pretty pretty all right human being, too, from what I can tell. Um, so uh, give it up for Dylan from Play to Win. Dylan, how's it going? It's going all right. I'm hanging in there. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for doing the gameplay with us. It's uh, honestly a pleasure to get to collaborate and do content with you. Um, so truly honored to get to do that. Yeah, um, for sure. One, yeah. So we we invited you on uh, because we we wanted to do kind of this year in review. What were the best uh, of twenty twenty? And. Um, you know, we figured that Dylan would have some opinions, so we thought we'd have him on. And uh, last time when we did our tier list, it was me, Pongo, Phoenix, and Ryan. Um, this time for our best of, it's going to be me, Pongo, and this time we got Cobblepot on and uh, Dylan. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to go th on through, we've got some different categories that we're going to be discussing today. Uh, going to go through our best car favorite cards in each color, uh, which one was the best one in each one, um, best multicolor card, different, you know, card types. And then we'll talk about the most improved decks and best decks, best commander, and we'll give you some predictions about the uh, coming, or well, I guess it's not coming anymore. We're in 2021, which is wild. Um, but we will give you some predictions for what this year will bring to us. Uh, so starting off for us today is we're going to give you the best of the white card, which white card was the best of 2020. And uh, so starting off, we've got Pongo with his uh, pick for the best of 2020. All right. Well, let me uh, preface this by saying that um, I, I, I added a specific challenge for myself here, which was to not um, nominate the same card more than once. And we had discussed this previously and we had agreed that, okay, we should be fine with nominating the same card for more than one category. But I sort of took it upon myself to try to avoid doing that. <laughs> Just, you know so that theoretically uh, we would have a few more cards to discuss. So, you know, 
for the sake of content. Um, so with that caveat out of the way, and with a second caveat, um, this first card that I'm going to discuss is not necessarily the card that I think is the most powerful white card that was printed this year. In fact, I think we're probably going to talk about that in just a moment, but I do think it is certainly the second most powerful white card printed this year, and in, <laughs> um, it has a special significance for me. Uh, so the card in question is Archon of Emeria. And so why did I uh, nominate this card? Um, well, the reason is, is because when this card was spoiled, that was kind of like the genesis of King K. Rule. Sort of the the um, King uh, Kenrith rule of law, um, combos with rule of law, and like possibility storm slash knowledge pool lock uh, type deck that uh, Cobblepot also has uh, his version of as well. Um, but basically, for me, the thing that inspired me to build my version of that deck was seeing Archon of Emeria, seeing this incredibly powerful Rule of Law effect, and saying, oh, it's a good time to build with Rule of Laws again. That was, like, such a big aspect of 2020. Um, you know, something, like, this huge shift in the meta that happened, and, you know, that left a lot of space for people to start trying to think, okay, well, how, how can I attack this new metagame? And I think Archon of Emeria, in, in many ways, is sort of a poster child for that. It's kind of emblematic of that shift, and then potentially uh, of what type of cards have gained stock in 2020. Right, absolutely. It's uh, one of those cards that uh, certainly opens up some of your options, uh, specifically around, you know, I think that second half of it, it kind of gets overlooked a lot. Um, you know, your opponent's, what is it, non-basic lands uh, come into play tapped, and that's right. just a very good asymmetrical piece. Um, but Cobblepot, Especially you, against fetch lands. Oh, my goodness, for sure. They feel awful. <laughs> um, but Cobblepot, so you picked a different white card as your best of 2020. Um, what was the card that you picked and why? Um, the, the one that I chose was Dranith Magistrate, and I think that people kind of presume that as kind of the the, the the easy choice just because uh, of the you know very very significant impact that it has almost really at at, at any table um your your archon of Amiria is is a is an excellent card because it is going to disrupt kind of all of the best strategies that that we we currently have right now, uh, ad nauseum is just not going to be able to, to to play through it. Underworld breach is not going to be able to play through it. Um, you can't really resolve a Thassa's Oracle plus demonic consultation or tainted pact through it. So it's it's just really really well positioned. Um, but it, I mean it that that's kind of where, where its usefulness ends. It's you know excellent against kind of. The, those 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 main boogeymen of the format, but then kind of doesn't do a whole lot against kind of the rest of the format. Whereas I think Dranith Magistrate is universally powerful on the one hand because it is asymmetric, and uh, it 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 impacts those decks. So um, a, a lot of times you're you're going to see Adnaz be coupled with underworld breach strategies or a yog will strategy you know after you've you know cast a whole bunch of spells then you're going to recast a whole bunch of stuff that's out of your graveyard uh Dranith magistrate just makes those a non-starter 
and also um, either for strategies that are that are dependent on having their commanders in play or strategies that are just using their their commanders as additional um, you know uh, advantage for longer games so you know your your Thrasios decks or your you know your Timna decks your Crown decks not being able to get those onto the battlefield to play the type of game that you want to play uh, just really gives a whole lot of advantage to whoever it is that's got Draneth Magistrate on the on the battlefield. So it's, yeah. it's a phenomenal card. I think the asymmetrical aspect of it is is what makes it so much more universally applicable. You can kind of jam it at zero opportunity cost, really, or, or very low opportunity cost uh, into just about any white deck. Um where you can't do the same for Archon of Emeria because, you know, the strategies you outline that it affects don't really want to be playing it <laughs> because it impacts them too much. Right. So you can you can play... Dranath Magistrate doesn't hold you up from playing any, any strategy you want. Whereas Archon of Emeria, because of the fact that it's symmetric, it will... It, it imposes its, its rule on you as well. So... Only a very small subset of, of strategies can profitably play an Archon, whereas anybody who wants to can, you know, if you're in white, you're, you, you probably should have a Dranth Magistrate in your list. Right. Um, Dylan, uh, what was your selection for best white card of 2020? Yeah. I don't know how to follow up all of that, but I had I had two really. I had an honorable mention and one, so I'll just go with my main one because I wasn't sure what everyone else would decide. But Dranith Magistrate was my number one pick for white card. Uh, the main reason for me, obviously, you guys said it all perfectly. Um, but the main one for me that pushes it over the edge is really just the fact that it's two mana rather than three. Um, it being two mana means that Mox Diamond and Chrome Mox and Lotus Petal with a land can all let you cast Dranith Magistrate on turn one. Which wow is that super backbreaking? And although you can mana crypt out an early Archon of Emeria, it's a little bit more difficult because those moxes that just net you one mana don't help you do that on turn one, and turn one is such a crucial uh, turn in CDH. So, yeah, I think Dranith Magistrate is uh, the most powerful one. Also, like Hobble said, you can just put it in any deck, and I would not bat an eye, but some decks I would definitely bat an eye if Archon of Emeria was in. For sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I also picked Dranith Magistrate. Um, My reasoning... um, you know, obviously what you guys all say is true and right and all that, but the correct reason is, um, is <laughs> because go. it made Lavinia much better. Um, that is the correct reason. It is the best white card of 2020. It, and, and I know that kind of sounds ham but like Dranith Magistrate, and I, I do mean that like jokingly and not jokingly at the same time, because I've kind of said this all year is 2020 was this big like shot in the arm for the Omen pool list uh, where we just got a bunch of new toys. Um, I mean, we're going to get into some of the new stuff, but we got Force of Negation, we got Hull Breacher, we got Archon of Ameria, Dranith Magistrate, uh, we got, uh, what was the other, oh, um, Skyclave Apparition, which is one of my honorable mentions, and we, we, we just got so many new tools in uh, blue-white, um, specifically for Omen Pool, um, that I, I just felt like Dranith Magistrate made that deck so much better, um, and for as somebody who's worth. been... Both yeah. Dranith Magistrate and Archon of Emeria both effectively have, you know, the the, the same combo when right. when you're playing either, you know, knowledge pool or possibility storm or, or those types of things. Correct. So 
and and that's part of what it is is it just lets you layer it kind of lets you slot out like before we used to be playing like a teferi time raveler um which is is kind of risky to run uh at a four-person pod because it makes you be the one to answer all the the issues um so dranith just really did a lot of great work uh for the deck this year and so um, what all you guys said was correct and true and all that, but the real reason, my reason, uh, is because it made my favorite deck much better. Well, you um, do have a good point. I think one thing that we all kind of said, but I think is extra important, is that Dranith Magistrate is also kind of like a win con, like with Possibility Storm. Right. If you can force that hard lock and you have like a Bruce Tarl or some way to you know, show combat damage, that's effectively a win if you can lock your opponents out from casting any spells. So Dranith Magistrate being like such a powerful stacks piece early on and then also being kind of like a part of your win con so good one of the things that i don't think enough people think about with Janus magistrate that i think is really good um and i not to go too deep into this um but as so you know i i've done a lot of work with omen pool that deck and i think a lot of people know about the knowledge pool side of that lock but i think the omen machine lock with Janus magistrate is considerably better and the reason why um, asymmetry in certain well it, it, the asymmetry asymmetry also but you're not letting your opponents draw any cards um and they're not going to be able it 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 gets, skirts around the abrupt decay issue that the knowledge pool lock uh with like lavinia has and it kind of does that anyway on its own with knowledge pool but with Omen Machine, you're now playing against your opponent's hand when you drop the Omen Machine, and you get to top deck everything great, and they aren't. Um, and so you're just in the deck has all sorts of bombs, right? So it's just one of those things where you are getting way more advantage off of an Omen Machine with Draineth Magistrate, and I think it just made that card so 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 much better. Where before. Um, it was fine, but it was not very good. And now I think that it's it's certainly on equal footing in that deck with uh, with knowledge pool. But uh, you guys didn't come here to sit and listen to me <laughs> shill uh, that deck. Uh, I do that enough on Twitter as it stands. Um, but up next, we have our picks for the best blue card of 2020 and starting us off is cobble pot so cobble what was your pick for best card best wow best blue card excuse me of 2020 um i i think it it, it just it goes without question that uh Thassa's oracle <laughs> has to be the pick here it is um what i would consider probably being the best win con that we've ever had and um that's when I say best win con, I'm, I'm, I'm not comparing it to Flash because uh, Flash was an enabler for a win con because you right. still had to put together a win after executing Flash. Um, Go back and uh, look at our first video where we talked right. about that. So, uh, but the fact that you can have Athasa's Oracle come into play and create a trigger and the trigger is the only thing that you need to respond to as opposed to needing to keep the, Th the Thassa's Oracle on the battlefield the way that you would have to with the Laboratory Maniac or uh, Lab Jace. Um, that creates a surface area of interaction that is much smaller and thus much more likely to win because 
um, in in the case where you know you're trying to do the old school console with, for instance, the, you know, the original Lab Man, um, not only could somebody counter your your consultation if somebody had an abrupt decay, they could you know respond and kill your Lab Man and, and, and disrupt you. In this particular case, the only way to disrupt the combo is by uh, you know, countering either the oracle or the consultation, or through a stifle effect, which no one plays. So <laughs> the, the the likelihood of pulling off a win with a, with an oracle is an order of magnitude higher. So it's it's just that much better of of a combo. And also, this you know goes without saying that you don't need to have a draw effect in, a, in as well. So you know you can with the lab man, you you put a lab man onto the battlefield, you do the consult. That doesn't win you the game. You still have to draw a card because that's that's the text of that particular card. In this case, you you don't need to have that third card in hand. So instead of having three effects to piece together, you only have two effects to piece together, which also is um, going to make your 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 win attempts much more consistent and much more concise because you only need to actually string two things together rather than three. And um, if that was different, um, I, I I don't think that we would have the entire metagame as it is right now warped around Tasa's Oracle. Uh, if your deck has blue and black, you run Oracle Consult, period, just because um, there, there's not really a uh, defensible position to, to do otherwise. Right, for sure. Um, I think that is the the hottest take of the year for sure cobblepath is <laughs> such an out of left field take oh my right. gosh um dylan do you think you can bring us back down to reality i mean what's your uh, pick for <laughs> i'm joking obviously uh, yeah <laughs> what's, no, what's I, your pick for blue best blue card yeah, of the year? I, I agree thassa's oracle is in my mind without a doubt the best blue card of the year it's the most efficient win con that i think i've ever seen um that i think most magic players have ever seen uh, I think all your points were fantastic. I do have one or two uh, honorable mentions. And I'm going to bring up one is, is Fierce Guardianship, though. Um, mm-hmm. I think Fierce Guardianship has done so much, uh, along with a couple other free interaction that I'm sure we may talk about. But um, Fierce Guardianship, just acting as another kind of force of will, has made... Um, a- it has added, as well as many other things, to ad nauseum decks being able to kind of like confidently protect their stuff like lately i've been playing the crom ad nauseum stuff and being able to confidently hold up like more than one force effects like a force of will and a fierce guardianship means that when you go all in on your reign of filth to sacrifice your lands it is a little bit easier to get out of that it makes it feel a little bit more like legacy because you got like a grip full of force of wills rather than just one force of will in your whole deck so i'm gonna give uh, fierce guardianship my my honorable mention there i think it's done a lot to to push commanders uh, in, in a certain cool way but Thassa's Oracle is, is without a doubt, the strongest blue card. Probably card of the year. Right. Absolutely. And for the Fierce Guardianship, you really, you really can't diminish um, how strong it is to be able to cast the spell without having card disadvantage. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's Absolutely. been in that position where, where they've had a Force of Will or a, uh, um, the other Force. Um, and force not of had, Negation. For, yeah, Force of Negation. And, and not had an extra blue card to pitch to it. Or, you know, your blue card that you had in hand to pitch to it is a Thassa's Oracle or something. And, you know, it just feels terrible. So um, not taking on that card disadvantage is 
just it's a completely different game and it's absolutely yeah it's a such a good it's a free counter spell that rewards you for doing what you want to do which is cast your commander rather than force of will which is a is a complete negative on all aspects because it's five mana for your ad nauseums and you have to lose a card yeah i completely agree and that's another reason why dranith magistrate is so much better because it keeps people off of their deflecting swats and their fierce guardianships oh wow yeah i was thinking about this in the car today um because I, I don't even remember what spurred this on, but I was thinking about how wild it is that, like, how expensive five-mana counter-target spell, even without the uh, exile a card from your hand thing is, right? Like, that's just, like, so much mana, like, just to counter a spell. Um yep. I, I like genuinely was like, why is it five mana? Like, I think that's the point. It's, it just, it's awful if you don't exile a card. Right. It's, it's right. awful when you do exile a card. But it's awful no matter what, you but you always it. have to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the uh, the legacy player in me speaking, where in a lot of situations you end up just cutting your Force of Wills from your deck post, post game one, because that card is just not that good it's just kind of necessary in the format god we're gonna right. we're gonna get so many comments where it's like force of wills are not good it's <laughs> I, I just no, I it's can good see it it's now. just yeah, it always feels bad that's all it always feels yeah. bad but it's nice it's good yeah uh pongo uh cobbles given his dylan's given his what is your excuse me pick for best blue card of 2020 so I'm going to break with the group uh, once again, possibly not for the last time tonight. Um, and I think in saying that, I think a lot of people are probably not going to be sub- 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 <laughs> excuse me, surprised to hear that Thassa's Oracle is probably coming up later. But uh, my top blue card of 2020 is going to have to be Hull Breacher. Um, so what? <laughs> if if I was nominating if I was nominating a card more than once, probably I would be nominating Thassa's Oracle here as well. But given that I'm trying to avoid that for this video, um, the reason why I'm nominating Hull Breacher is just because um, of how much of an upgrade it is over Notion Thief. Notion Thief was already an extremely powerful card. Um, you know, like a lot of people were jamming Notion Thieves kind of even in places where they might not even necessarily be playing like wheel effects so you were just playing it kind of as a hate bear and while that is like not really like the best thing to be doing you kind of want to be comboing it um it's still so powerful to be hating on people's draw effects um in a format like cdh that you know people were doing it um and having some degree of success doing it but uh hull breacher by comparison as a three mana card and only requiring blue uh, instead of blue and black uh, is is just crazy. Um, that being one mana less enables so many powerful things. Um, you know, you can just neoform your Thrasios into a hole breacher and then cast a wheel effect, and you kind of just win right right then and there. Um, you know, you generate a ton of mana if you manage to wheel plus play hole breacher such that. You know, whatever you wheel into is probably, you know, after emptying everyone else's hands, uh, you're probably going to be able to cast everything you draw into and just kind of keep spinning your wheels from there. Um, it Ba-dum. importantly increases the density of like really powerful wheel payoffs that you can play. And I think this is probably the most important thing, which is 
you know, in the past, you might have been playing things like Narset, and you might have been playing things like um, Smothering Tithe, just so you have enough things to kind of like weaponize your wheels with. Um, but Hole Breacher just outclasses all of those to such an extent that it's like, I don't even know if I really need to be playing Smothering Tithe anymore. Uh, I don't certainly don't want to be playing Alms Collector anymore, I think, in like just about any deck. Um, so I think that this is a card that people are kind of waking up to. Um, we knew it was strong from the, the start, but uh, you know, when when we saw kind of like the mini cycle of three mana flash creatures coming out of uh, Commander Legends, that is to say whole breacher and opposition agent, I think everyone was focused on the form uh, on the latter rather than the former. Um, so people were super excited about opposition agent. And, you know, people were kind of like, eh, you know, Hull Breacher is going to be strong. People are obviously going to play it um, because it's clearly good. But we're, like, freaking out about how much of an impact Opposition Agent is going to have such that Hull Breacher kind of, like, slid under the radar. And now that people actually have had a chance to test out the cards, people are like, man, Breacher is, like, way better than Agent. And right. it's not 100% clear that that's true. That's certainly a take. But... It certainly seems to be a take that is growing in popularity. Right, I'm with you on that one for sure. Me too. Preacher's better. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I think that's a super hot take. I think right. I, I think the... And we're going to get into this here in a moment. Um, in a minute, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but Hall Breacher certainly... I mean... Okay, I said I wasn't going to talk about Lavinia anymore, but I'm going to talk about <laughs> Lavinia again. Um, How many like, minutes are we in? Uh, <laughs> so, but I mean, like, th this was the first time for Lavinia that we really got, like, a, a thief effect for for real, right? Um, and so that was, like, a really cool thing for us. We saw that spoiled in Phoenix, and I were immediately just like, so that's immediately going in the list, right? Like, <laughs> like that's absolutely going in the deck. Um, so I, I, I certainly agree that I think it's better than opposition agent um my pick for best blue card of 2020 was not hull breacher however um my best pick uh my pick for best blue card was thos's oracle uh as well i i really can't disagree i mean the the card got the card got another card banned guys right like it there there is certainly an argument A to be CDH had that card correct um there is certainly an well i mean if I want to even stray outside of Commander for a moment, I mean, look at Pioneer. Uh, got cards banned in Pioneer. Um, and, you know, we, we're obviously talking about CEDH here, but it's an incredibly strong card. Um, it brought back an entire archetype in Modern. Um, Ad Nauseam was practically dead in Modern, and Thassa's Oracle got printed, and now all of a sudden it's like, top five decks in the format right now yeah um, people playing leveler and and modern or legacy all of a sudden yeah like if you can get <laughs> um, people to play leveler and competitive magic then there's something broken going on <laughs> yeah i mean and but that's that's the point right is it's it's just it's so hard for me to look at thassa's oracle on any level and not go this is just the best blue card of this year it's just such a good it outclasses i feel like so many other win cons uh, to such a large extent uh but going back to something we were just talking about we were talking about opposition agent 
And uh, we're going to take a look here at the best black card of 2020. So Dylan, uh, Cobbles had got to share, Pongo's gotten to share. Excuse me. What is your pick uh, for best black card of 2020? I think uh, my pick for best black card of 2020 is Peer into the Abyss. I think okay. Peer into the Abyss has been another one of the pieces that has allowed the Turbo Ad Nauseam decks to rise in so much popularity because you have another Ad Nauseam. And the, the, the fact that you can still cast this when you're at two life and draw half your deck and lose half your life and go to one is, I think, my favorite part about this deck. Like, if your Ad Nauseam doesn't work, but you have a whole lot of mana and you can cast a Peer... You can still do that. You can fire off again and, and keep going. And I've done that before, and that has felt fantastic. So, uh, also the art. I we, I know this is CDH we're talking about, but the art is just <laughs> super sick and bizarre and crazy, and they're peeling out of each other's heads. It's incredible, super sick. But yeah, peer into the abyss. I think uh, is just the 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 my favorite black card of the year by far. Absolutely, Pongo. Uh, what is your uh, pick for best black card of twenty twenty? Uh, so Pierre was certainly a consideration, but, um, I, I kind of wanted to save it perhaps for <laughs> one of the more high profile categories. Um, so given that, and given that I'm not nominating a card for two categories, uh, or multiple categories, I should say, um, my pick for the best black card of 2020 was Opposition Agent. Um, so Opposition Agent we discussed this already a little bit, uh, but I think really it shouldn't need much introduction at this point. Um, you know, everyone absolutely freaked out when that card was spoiled, um, and we all knew immediately how powerful it was. Um, and it, it certainly lives up to its power level. Uh, you know, when everything is kind of going right, um, you know, just just being a kind of strictly better Aven mind sensor, <laughs> it lives up to its power level. Um, and Aven Mind Sensor is a pretty good card, so when you shift that into a better color and make it better, it is probably going to be an obscenely <laughs> good card. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know that I have much else to add uh, on the subject of Opposition Agent. Very, very clearly an incredibly strong card, but you know, perhaps I guess the one thing I could say about it is that uh, it, it does kind of suffer... For not being an incredibly proactive play all the time um mm -hmm. you know some amount of the time you kind of just want to play it out to be mana efficient um and you're not necessarily catching somebody's tutor when you're doing that um but you know if, if the alternative is not spending your mana for the turn then you're kind of losing out uh anyway so you just kind of play it out as a stranglehold and it it, it turns out that that's the play pattern often enough that opposition agent is perhaps not as powerful as we thought it was going to be when we first saw it but right. the bloat potential of this card is unreal and sometimes it will just win the game so you know let's not uh let's not like poo poo the card too too much <laughs> absolutely um cobblepot what is your pick for best black card um i also chose peer into the abyss and you know, opposition agent notwithstanding, I, I it is a great card, but I don't think it's a universally great card. I feel like opposition agent is really only going to be good if you're if you want to be playing reactive. And I've actually found myself removing it from my very proactive decks. And um, 
not so much the case with Peer Into the Abyss. Um, Peer I've been the thinking Abyss about is, doing that, so that makes me feel good that you are doing that because I've been considering cutting it from my nauseum decks, and I feel like I'm crazy because everyone says it's the best card in the world. But okay, that's kind of verifying. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm 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 with you on that. I, I feel like I I want to be playing Hullbreacher and. Oh, you know, yeah. If I ever, if I have a choice between Hullbreacher and an opposition agent in a proactive Nas list, I always, always, always am choosing Hullbreacher, and I'm almost never choosing the opposition agent. So that's why it went. So, but getting back to Peer into the Abyss, I mean, just like Dylan said, I mean, I it, it's it's a Nas that, um, you know, once once you get it to resolve, it's way better than Nas, because you know you're you're always if, if it resolves and, you know, somebody doesn't snipe it with a deflecting spot or something like that, um, you know, you're drawing 40 cards and um, you can never die to it. And that's really the, the, the redeeming thing that, I, that um, it, it's not contextual with your life total the way that ad nauseum is. So if, you know, you know people can can play against you know the conventional wisdom playing against an ad nauseum deck is you know attack the person whittle their life down and then bring down the the value that they're going to get out of their ad nauseous well that that doesn't actually change the value that you get out of your peer into the abyss so in a lot of cases that that peer into the abyss is, is going to be insulated from whatever your life total actually is and it's going to have a consistent very very high value so um whereas your 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 ad nauseum is going to have you know kind of like this this floor and this ceiling that that have a a a high amount of variance depending on what's happening in the game um the the peer into the abyss is almost always the ceiling case and it's always a great great card to resolve and for that reason i think that it's absolutely the best black card of the year but my best blue card counters your best black card (laughs) fuck you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in Kabul has been Kabul you've been on peering to the abyss for kind of since the prob- abyss, since you know as soon as it was printed um I mean yes I'm kind of one to embrace stuff that people kind of look at um you know side-eyed sometimes but I, I wasn't the only person that thought it was good kind of from the beginning and I think that it's gotten enough playtime and enough traction that everyone's kind of I, I i think the 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 agreement is more or less universal you know spleen face notwithstanding that you know, <laughs> it's it's a it's i i think earned its reputation as being you know a premier black card advantage spell absolutely um i picked opposition agent um and my my thought process for that was it uh, really came down to the fact for me that um, because I was kind of deciding between Peer Into the Abyss and Opposition Agent, and what it came down for me was uh, Opposition Agent has changed people's play patterns. Um, I see people fetch early a lot more and fire off tutors early a lot more now than I did before it's printing. I used to see people sit on their vamps, sit on these things, and they still do to some extent, but people are a lot more cautious because they don't want to get blown out. And um, that to me is just such a huge thing for it because, you know, none of the only other card that I can think of on this list that has changed the play patterns um, that we're going to talk about. Well, maybe there's only two really 
Uh, but the, the one that I really think about is Thassa's Oracle. Um, and obviously it's not as powerful as Thassa's Oracle, right? But you're respecting mana in a way a lot different uh, than you did a few months ago. Um, we respect that open three black mana or three, you know, gold mana, however you can make it happen. We respect that a lot more uh, than we were. We weren't as worried about it with Haven Mind Sensor, right? Like nobody was fetching weird um, and at weird spots like we before with Aven Mind Sensor. Like if somebody Aven Mind Censored, you're like, oh, shoot. Well, maybe it's in my top four, and that was about it. Um, if you somebody that, hits you <laughs> with the white mana, and then the mana crypt on the stack, I was I was cracking my fetches every time. Fair, I mean fair, um, but I mean, I I think overall, Pongo notwithstanding, I don't feel like people <laughs> played around Aven Mind Sensor to the degree that they play around Opposition Agent. And uh, that that's why I put it as best black card of 2020, because it just it really forced people to change the way that they played in a way that other cards ha this year have very few cards this year have made people do, uh, which is incredible because this year had so many good cards. Um, yeah. Moving on to well, the um, last thing oh, I would want to say about opposition agent is um, it, it kind of has a lot of hidden power, right? So you don't necessarily always recognize when you're playing it just how impactful it is because you don't see those like two or three tutors that are rotting away in your opponent's hand um and and i think that that can actually give people the impression that it's not as powerful as it actually is because having been on like you know the sort of receiving end of an opposition agent i you know have like multiple games now in memory where i can just confidently say like oh man that opposition agent absolutely destroyed me even if it didn't necessarily get any value off of my tutors um whereas whole breacher i think it's kind of much more of a known quantity like even if you don't necessarily get somebody's draw off of it if you combo that with a wheel you feel pretty good about it and you feel like okay i've done something um and you know that sort of does play into like this dissociation between like proactive and reactive uses of the card but i think that a lot of the time you are just winning games with opposition agent because your opponents no longer have uh options right, right. it's absolutely it's, it's effectually blanking a whole lot of their those cards and um just the the fact that you're unaware of it doesn't mean that it's not right. doesn't necessarily mean it's not doing that work absolutely um, well, moving on to the color that probably had the biggest glow up of the year um, is uh, red. Um, red certainly had uh, what many would consider a very, very good year. Um, red went from being fine um, and okay to arguably one of the best colors in the format now. Um, so, Pongo, when we're talking about what uh, the best card for red is this year, well, this past year now, um, what is your pick for best red card of 2020? I think I'm going to surprise a lot of people here, um, yet again, perhaps. Uh, so, my nomination for best red card of the year is, drumroll please, is, so it's Jessica's Will. Um, <laughs> and, and so, I know this is going to be surprising to a lot of people because of again how many powerful red cards we've gotten this year um the reason why i'm nominating it 
is largely off the back of some memories of just playing that card and and just absolutely (laughs) having insane results playing it um yes my turn one win but (laughs) but also you know like various other contexts where i played with the card and i've just seen it do absolutely nutty things um and you know you can certainly say that for a lot of these other cards on the list and you can absolutely say that for the card that i think most of you are going to nominate um but (laughs) You know, again, I'm restricting myself a little bit here. So the best red card that you guys name will ser- will most likely make it onto my list elsewhere. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Fair enough. Cobblepot, what was your uh, best red card of 2020? Right. I'm, I I think I'm going to fulfill Pongo's wish here, and I'm going to say Underworld Breach. <laughs> and um, I'm sure that's no surprise to, to really anybody. Underworld Breach is, you know, just one, another one of those cards that, has you know come onto the scene this year and has immediately kind of formed its its own uh you know shell around it it's become an archetype it's been kind of you know effectively uh, solved as far as you know this is the way that you do underworld breach and you know you you see it used in in basically all of the the, the strongest or at least the fastest uh decks that you see in in the metagame currently and you know when it first came out you know, a couple of us were, were saying, you know, whoa, this this is this is better than Yogg's Will. And people, you know, kind of responded saying, um, you know, Yogg's Will is one of the strongest cards that's ever been printed in Magic. And it was like, <laughs> well, guess yes. what? They just made it better. <laughs> guess what? <laughs> this is better than that. And um, I, I, I think that it has lived up to the hype. Um, you know, people, you know, kind of quickly embraced it and realized, whoa, this is this is really really good and um i i don't think that any opinions have changed as it's kind of uh gathered you know the the embrace of the community everybody mm-hmm. who who is running it has, you know continues to kind of reinforce just how powerful of an archetype it is especially when combined with with adnos strategies um it's it's just a an extremely compact efficient and uh, you know, resilient way to win, and it's only going to get better. You know, as we've seen, you know, Hull Breacher is kind of like the first addition to you know the, the the list of oh wait a minute this this works really well with Underworld Breach, and you know you don't have to have an LED online, and you know um, there's there's only going to become more and more things that are going to dovetail very well with it. So I'm I'm excited to see what's going to happen in 2021 um, with this particular strategy. Absolutely. Uh, Dylan, what was your pick for best red card of 2020? Yeah, mine was also Underworld Breach. Uh, I completely agree. I think it is an incredibly efficient two-mana win condition that also doubles as when you need it to be uh, just valued to get stuff back from the graveyard. It's pretty useful at most aspects of the game, and it makes, in my opinion, one of the best strategies in the game, which is Ad Nauseam, uh, even better um, for many reasons, but um, but although that being said, obviously everyone knows that Underworld Breach is the most insane thing we've ever seen. I do have one, uh, uh, another honorable mention here, and that's Deflecting Swat. For many of the same reasons that Fierce Guardianship is good, I think Deflecting Swat is really powerful as an additional free interaction piece. And I also think that Deflecting Swat is super powerful at actually catapulting you ahead of the game rather than keeping you from going too far behind the game, which is normally what Fierce Guardianship does. 
deflecting SWAT's ability to change someone's abrupt decay from your underworld breach to their hull breacher can be extremely powerful and can help you win the game. Um, so I'm also going to honorably mention uh, deflecting SWAT here as another one. Good card. Absolutely. Yeah, I also picked Underworld Breach, um, and, you know, I can't really add a whole lot to it other than, you know, I kind of I agreed with Cobblepot. I don't know how many people saw a tweet that I posted, um, it was maybe it was almost a week ago now, um, where it's the the Wonder Woman 84 meme with where it's, this is good, but it can be better, um, <laughs> where, you know, Yogg's Will is very good, um, and I'm not denying that it's an amazing card. Um, Underworld breaches, in my opinion, significantly better. Um, Which is kind of a bummer, to be honest, because I love Yagmas Will. I think it's like the best. Car- I think it's such a cool card. But yeah, Underworld breach, I think is is just better. <laughs> yeah, I I mean I you know people talk about you know well you got to have the expending cards in your graveyard and yeah there's some setup involved with it. Right, and I was like right. I get that, but if you've ever played with the card, you realize that that's like a minimal requirement usually the decks that are playing that are already dumping stuff into the graveyard anyway right. or on some amount of things that fill that regardless um so i've you know i've never really seen that be a huge downside except of course when i'm playing the deck and i'm going for wins and i'm failing right the, um, the decks that are that, poised I, the decks that are poised to really take the best advantage of yogs will are in the same boat there, you know, you're, right. you don't want to cast a Yogg's Will when you got three cards in your graveyard. You want to cast Yogg's Will after you've, you know, done an, an ad nause for twenty cards, and then you want to reuse as as much as you can. You know, treat it kind of like a, a scroll rack between the your your hand and the graveyard to, you know, continuing moving forward. Right. Absolutely. Um, on to our next uh, category is the best green card of 2020. Now, I know in a lot of other formats, uh, green has gotten a lot of uh, heat as it has been kind of very, very, very good uh, over the past handful of years. Um, But 2020, I felt like, was a pretty quiet year for green in CDH. So when we're talking about what we thought was our best card for green in CDH this year, Cobblepot, what was your uh, pick for best green card of 2020? Uh, For me, I I, I chose Allosaurus Shepherd. And this is a one-mana card that cannot be countered that then makes all of your green cards uncounterable. Not green creatures, which is kind of what a lot of people probably expected when they were first looking at the card, you know, thinking it would be, you know, similar to a Destiny Spinner or, or, or cards of that ilk where, you know, okay, so people can play their creature strategies without, you know, being interacted with. But, I mean, Allosaurus Shepherd is, is going to make your um, Veil of Summer uncounterable. And it's going to make your neoform uncounterable and it's going to make you know uh uh, finale of devastation uncounterable just there's a a ton of plays especially plays that are uh going to be you know posturing if if you're if you're in a strategy that has green and you know black and blue then you know you're you're going to want to be putting your your thassa's oracle onto the battlefield and, and winning through that and this is going to facilitate a, a lot of that apparatus in 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 a way that is you know just extremely difficult for the 
the, the metagame as it stands to interact with because a lot of the metagame is, is expecting to, be, because of the nature of Thassa's Oracle being such that you can only interact with it on the stack, that is the, the, the type of interaction that you see most represented in the metagame. So people are going to have all of the tools for inter interacting with things on the stack. And when you have a card that says, you can't interact with my things on the stack, you are creating this disparity um, that is going to position you extremely well against the way that everybody in the metagame is going to be prepared for interacting with you. Thus, it's a really, really powerful way. You know, it, it, people are going to, you know, compare it to Vexing Shusher, but it's, you know... I, I think in a lot of ways uh, better for a lot of things just because you don't have to pay for activations and you don't have a, a stack war to, to interact with. If it's on the battlefield, it, it, it's going to come onto the battlefield and then you know, if you've got the nuts, then no one can do anything about it. And it's just a tremendous, tremendous card. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Dylan, what are your opinions on uh, best green card of 2020? I'm going to have to go ahead and agree with you there. Alastor's Shepherd is a, a powerful protection spell for all the reasons that you said, as well as every once in a while you get to make your elves huge and maybe finish off a player. Uh, I think Alastor's is, Shepherd is extremely powerful, but uh, it is strange. You did say green really didn't get a ton of power, I think, in CDH, but I do think multicolor green spells did get a little bit of power, which I can touch on in a little bit. But um, as far as mono green cards, yeah, Alastor's Shepherd is, uh, is quite a powerful one. Absolutely. Pongo, what was your pick? I tried so hard to find <laughs> anything for green. And 2020 was a really disappointing year for, for green. And I think like that's a big part of the reason why Grixis has kind of sort of taken a lot of the... Uh, has taken center stage over Sultai um, in, in more recent times. Um, you know, when you get a whole bunch of powerful red cards and you get basically nothing for green um it's it's pretty clear that you know you're gonna have a lot of interest in uh using those new red cards and the fact that again we didn't get anything remotely close in power level or uh, quite a number of cards similar number of powerful cards for for green means that uh, there was definitely going to be kind of a bit of a, a shift in focus so the card that I nominated, you know, after trying to find something different <laughs> that I felt like I could reasonably nominate that felt powerful enough to nominate um, was, again, Allosaurus Shepherd. Um, so I think Cobble and, and Dylan said pretty much everything that needs to be said about the card. Um, and yeah, the only thing I really wanted to add it is that my nominating Allosaurus Shepherd is in many ways kind of just a testament to uh, the low penetration rate of green cards from 2020 into CEDH. Um, yeah. It, very, very uh, weak year for green. Well, I'm of the opinion you didn't look hard enough for uh, other green card uh, because my selection for best green card of 2020 was Destiny Spinner. Um, and I know everybody's going to raise their eyebrows at me, but Allosaurus Shepherd! Isn't it just the worst Allosaurus Shepherd? <laughs> I would argue what's better. Here's why. Um, so in the decks that are going to want to be playing these effects that are not mono green, right? Um, Destiny Spinner is significantly more versatile. 
um, because of the fact that it is not going to only hit your green spells. Like, I, I, let me like a really good example of this is when you start to look at three, four, five color lists. Uh, they're not really talking about which those are the lists that are seeing the most play right now. Uh, those lists don't really consider Allosaur Shepherd a whole lot. Um, the lists that do. Uh, the card that they do consider is Destiny Spinner quite frequently uh, because of the fact that it does defend a lot of your pieces you want to be playing onto the field. Uh, it defends your Underworld Breaches. It defends all those sorts of things. Um, and so while it... And, and this is another thing that I think is very important to point out. Um, I was perusing the Playing With Power Essentials list um, as I was putting together my list and Destiny Spinner shows up in the list, but Allosaurus Shepherd does not. Um, and I think that really speaks to the fact that Destiny Spinner, while it may not be more overtly powerful as Allosaurus Shepherd, is certainly more versatile and is going to see much more play than Allosaurus Shepherd, uh, which to me makes it the better green card for the year. Uh, because it was, you know, like we said, it was kind of a, a, a slow year for Mono Green. Um, so having something that's going to be able to slot into a lot of different places uh, is, in my opinion, much more valuable than something that is as narrow as Allosaurus Shepherd is. See, you say that I didn't look hard enough, but I did certainly find Destiny Spinner. But the issue is that I didn't find any decks that I actually want to play Destiny Spinner in, whereas Allosaurus Shepherd is one that I've like considered for Derevi, for example, and, you know, like, in a couple mm -hmm. of other places. Um, for Najila, for example. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's but just is it? But it, did it ever make it into that list, though, to be I fair? did play it in Najila for a bit. But did it stay there? It didn't stay, ultimately. It didn't stay. But, yeah. So, but my I mean, and that's, Destiny that's, Spinner... Sorry, Destiny Spinner didn't even get considered. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> Go ahead, Dylan. My thing with Destiny Spinner is that in any deck that I could have played it at the two mana spot for protecting things, Grand Abolisher or Vexing Shisher, if able, seemed better to me. And at the one mana slot where sometimes you would, like in specifically um, like Advantage Thrasios decks, like Sands Black Seedborn Muse decks, where the only spells that you really care about resolving are like Neoforms, Finale of Devastations, Seedborn Muses, mm -hmm. like they're green spells. Once you resolve those, you kind of you can just like live off of Thrasios activation. So the one mana versus two is better. But Destiny Spinner, the one deck that I think Destiny Spinner is prime in is um, is Ukuma, is Food Chain Ukuma. I think Destiny Spinner is just perfect in that deck. Um, mm -hmm. But any other deck that can play like Vexing Shusher and Grand Abolisher, I normally play those first, and then I don't want a third of that two mana effect. That's fair. I I so I generally don't. This is a hot take. I don't want to get too deep in this. Lavinia. <laughs> I don't love Vexing Shusher personally. Um, and that's just a... I, I've always found it to be kind of clunky um, when I'm trying... Because it makes me have to spend my mana a little bit differently where I'd rather just kind of have a static ability that I can just use. And that's just me being stupid. Um, so, <laughs> no, that you makes know, sense. take that for what it's worth. But uh, I, I... Yeah, I've always kind of... Like, uh, in my food chain lists, I've cut... Um, Vexing Shusher for Destiny Spinner um, and I've liked that a lot more um, it's just for my play style I've just I, I, I like to play much more permanent uh, like based cards um, which you know uh, for one of our upcoming things that we're going to be doing you're going to be seeing one of my uh, prison decks that I've been working on that kind of showcases that um, but so yeah, Destiny I Spinner think... for me kind of fills that slot a little bit better for me 
Destiny Spinner is definitely, I think, better in food chain decks, but I think Vexing Shusher Signs, I, I think what everything you said is 100% right. Um, where Vexing Shusher Signs, though, is for me in, like, Thrasios-type decks when you're trying to control the table, right. and you can right. kind of threaten to make other people's things uncountable and whatnot, which, it, obviously, right? But, yeah, ve- Vexing Shusher, I, I see what you're saying about it, though. It is it no, it, it, sometimes. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, too, and I think your picks are all valid. I just, you know, I, it for me, was, it was just like, man, I don't see how short Sora Shepard get played that often, and Destiny Spinner's in the essentials list. Um, like, it's played in enough decks that it pops up. Um, so, to me, that is a credit to it um, and how it's just, just a little bit more versatile. Um, but moving on to our next category, this is probably going to be the most boring category of the day because I'm pretty sure we can all explain why what this card is. <laughs> and it's going to be a quick answer, and there's really no debate over this. Um, if there is, I'm going to be shocked. Um, <laughs> but uh, the next category is for the best colorless card of 2020. Now, had this been of 2019, we could sit here and discuss Karn. We could sit here and discuss Ugin. Uh, we could talk about a litany of other cards uh, that had come out in 2019 that work really well in that colorless, uh, you know, area. Uh, but 2019 gave us a card called Jeweled Lotus. Um, so, Dylan, uh, I feel safe to say I assume <laughs> that your uh, car- pick for the year is going to be Jeweled Lotus. Absolutely. And I say Black Lotus every time I cast that card because that's what it is. It is so powerful. <laughs> I, I have not seen the card be bad yet. I've I tutor for like all the time now. Like times where you would like normally tutor for mana crypt, and you go, hmm, wait a minute. I can maybe this is better than mana crypt right now. Especially in like Chrom type decks. I think Chrom decks use it the best. Um that three mana just lets your turn two Chrom be like very consistent and turn one Chrom's like happen enough. Yeah. it's just it's absolutely insane. Um Pongo, what are your thoughts? Well, again, we didn't really have a whole lot of uh, choices <laughs> to pick from or options, yeah. Um, but I think even if we did, Jeweled Lotus would probably come out ahead. The card is absolutely insane. Um, you know, it's not as game-breaking or insane or stupid as, you know, everyone was going on about it when it was first spoiled. You know, people were worried that this was like the end of EDH, not just CEDH, but EDH as we knew it. Um, and you know, it's, it's most certainly not that, uh, and, and I think actually it's power level to a large extent was like blown out of proportion. Um, that being said, I have seen this card kind of translate to like free wins on more than one occasion in CEDH in particular. So I, I definitely think that in the right context in CEDH, um, and if you also kind of get to use it uh, and do other things in the same turn, um, then it's like absolutely at its best here. And as I was saying before, uh, we'll convert into wins a substantial portion of the time. You know, I can think of a few recent games where, you know, I would see like turn one uh, Jeweled Lotus into like Chrom or, you know, some other commander. And then you also get... Yeah, or turn one Najila. I'm uh, genuinely surprised you didn't mention Najila. I was waiting for I, I, I was genuinely there. shocked. Yeah, I figured I was you getting were there. sorry. I was sorry, I didn't mean to jump on you. <laughs> um, but, uh, but then when you follow it up with, like, you know, land, crypt, ristic study, 
<laughs> it's like utterly broken. Um, and I, I've actually seen that on a couple of occasions. Um, I think we had something to that effect happen on the channel uh, in, in one of our last gameplay videos. Uh, it's, it's happened on stream on the Team Turn 3 stream where um, I've seen, you know, Turn 1 Urza and like I think Ristic Study as well. Um, so like absolutely insane things can happen uh, when you just have like a random three extra mana. And especially if you're like trying to power out a really important commander or a really powerful commander. Um, yeah, it can just absolutely swing the game in your favor right from the start by like a tremendous margin. Cobblepot, do you have any dissenting opinions here? I mean, I feel like it would have been better if it let you pay for any legendary card instead of just commanders, but um, that that, <laughs> that might have may been have been powerful. too much. So, uh, I I mean, I agree with everything everybody said so far, and um, I I like the fact that it is um, it's it's really powerful, but it's also really controlled. Um, you can use it for your commanders, and that's kind of it. And I, I think that that's a, um, an appropriate level of self-balance that it has there. And um, being able to play cards that were typically not cards that you saw on turn one most of the time, um, you know, even simple things like Timna, it, a turn one Timna is so much better than a turn two Timna just because of right. the amount of development that you're going to see around the table um so it can it can establish advantage in different circumstances you know uh, not just turn one timna but you know turn one krom turn one tevish sat turn one um you know neheb you, you know whatever um all of those uh it, it's it's a extremely uh variance inducing card which i i i I think that's the 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 only quality that has that um, I'm I'm not a big fan of because it it, it does absolutely create uh, more uh, variability uh, to you know what, what's happening on, on on turn one. But that said, it also gives people who are in you know at at any seat that's at the table the ability to maybe overcome some of the innate. Uh, Variance that you're going to have with respect to uh, seating order. So, you know, you can have somebody who's in seat four who's able to power out, you know, Chrome on turn one and be able to maybe compensate and overcome some of the disadvantage that is inherent to where they're sitting. So, there, there's a lot of interesting things that it that it creates in the metagame, and um, I, I think without question there is no colorless card printed in 2020 that can even come close. Absolutely. And I, I agree with, with absolutely everything that you guys are saying there. Um, on to uh, our last category for this first segment here um, is the best multicolor card of 2020. Um, this includes, uh, you know, some of those cards from uh, what's it called that from Jumpstart that had the dual set, uh, mana symbols in them. Uh, so starting off here, Pongo, um, what was your pick for best multicolor card of 2020? So, you know, sort of to what you just said to your point, uh, when I read multicolor, I didn't necessarily read gold card. Um, so I took that to also mean cards that, 
you know, for whatever reason, may be in multiple colors based on their color identity. So the card that I chose is Emil the Blessed. Um, and, you know, a lot of people might be a little upset. You know, they might think, oh, well, Emil's a white card. You know, maybe that should have been like the best white card. <laughs> but, uh, you know, let me just point you to that like green mana symbol right in the text box and uh, and ask you, you know, what mono white deck are you playing this card in? Right. Um, none. Because you can't, because it's a multicolored card. Can I just real uh, quick? Why is that allowed? But extort is not is isn't is is you don't have to because, do it one or the other. Because extort what? is in the reminder text. Right. It's not. But in why the, isn't yeah, that in the reminder text? I, I, all right, I'm sorry. It, it just it feels like it's the same <laughs> thing to me. Well, because it's not. There's nothing to remind. It's not you reminding it's not a, you. It's just yeah, the actual ability. It's, the actual it's just text. frustrating to me that that is the way that extort works with the color identity, but. Sorry. Right. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little counterintuitive, but yeah, it's that's certainly the way it works. Um so why Emil? Well, um you know, some some personal reasons again. Uh Emil is kind of like a linchpin type card for um you know, the King K rule, uh the Kenrith rule of law deck, uh where when you combo with Dockside Extortionist, you can generate infinite mana, and if you have Kenrith already out in play, then you can win through your own rule of laws without uh, needing to cast any other spells um, and without having to loop Dockside on the stack, so without having to cast it multiple times. Um, but it also fits directly into, like, you know, those, like, Advantage Thrasios-type shells or, like, the Dawn Waker Thrasios-type shells uh, where it's doing very, very similar things with Dockside Extortionist. And another deck that I've been, you know, or I'm constantly working on, um, you know, sort of my white <laughs> whale as far as CDH is concerned, is uh, Derevi where Emil has also proven itself as a pretty powerful combo piece, even without access to Dockside Extortionist. So in that deck, you know, with Derevi, um, Emil, and Gaia's Cradle, you can generate uh, infinite green mana, assuming you have four creatures in play, um, and then you can start flickering Derevi to untap other color sources, and then you have infinite mana of all colors, and you get to tap all your opponents out every turn. Uh, it's pretty cool, uh, and it works pretty well and it's uh, a really slot efficient way to add a win condition to derevi um that also happens to be a creature and that also happens to exploit guy's cradle which is like everything that derevi could possibly want <laughs> um so so you know for those reasons it's uh, certainly been uh, revolutionary for that deck as well um and i think that uh you know it's the type of card that kind of threatens to get better as other cards are printed as well um so it's it's one that i'm like interested in sort of keeping an eye on to see how it kind of becomes broken in the future um you know it, it kind of has like the dead eye navigator effect in in that respect where like you know if we get more powerful etb effects then emil only becomes more powerful uh and an emil emil is at four mana right instead of six mana so it's much easier to justify uh, playing that in a in a wide variety of contexts, and it only takes colorless mana um, to use the activated ability, which means that in a lot of situations, um, you know, you can you can kind of break it more easily. And it's a fast flicker, which is the repeatable fast flicker is not the type of thing we see a whole lot anymore. <laughs> so right, um, especially in because morning. because it kind of is it's inherently broken in a lot of respects. So uh, getting a card like that was kind of a big surprise for me in 2020. I was not expecting that because when you print something like that it's very clearly intended to be kind of an infinite mana type piece or an infinite combo type piece um and i think wizards of the coast is fully aware of that fact and they've shied away from it um you know after dead eye navigator but you know 
we're we're here now and we're trying it again and i think the card is very very powerful you know it's interesting you called um derevi your white whale i think i might i think i might steal that from you and call lavinia my white whale i think that that makes sense i like that <laughs> um up next we've got Cobblepot. cobble what was your pick for best multicolor card of 2020 my best multicolor card for 2020 i chose winota joiner of forces and um not because it's necessarily the 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 discrete best multicolor card but it is a card that of its own merit all by itself it created a deck in cedh of boros colors that can consistently threaten a win um regardless of table composition and um is it going to win every game no um is it going to be a contender yes and this is a circumstance that i think is is without precedent in in cedh i don't think they're you know in thinking back through the kind of the the cedh history even though it's not a long one there i don't think there has ever been a boros deck that was ever a contender even you know in the kind of like the the lower level echelons of of what you would consider you know power so uh this is without precedent and i think that it's a healthy thing and um hopefully it will be a harbinger of 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 maybe more of what we can expect from from that region of the color pie and i i think it's a welcome addition absolutely uh dylan what was your pick for best multicolor card of 2020 so my pick was actually also Winota. I think um, for all the reasons that Cobble said, Winota added a ton to the Boros strategy that didn't really exist at all before. So that's really cool. But I did have a lot of honorable mentions that I want to bring up because although, like I said earlier, Mono Green didn't really get that many toys this time, I do think that Green and Other got a couple toys. Um, Yasharn was a big one. Yasharn, the green-white commander, I think did a lot for green-white. I think the only other CDH green-white deck that we had was the green-white Silvala. And to be honest, I don't think that deck was very good, but I don't know if I've ever actually played against it. I'm not sure. Yasharn stopping Dockside Extortionist as well as many other things I think is super powerful. Uh, and then real quick, I also wanted to just highlight Emil, but Pongo went over all the reasons why Emil is super good. Uh, and also Kinnon. I think Kinnon has done... A whole lot, but Kinnon just kind of just does more of blue-green stuff, so that's not super exciting. And also, I know I'm bringing up a lot here, but multicolor is like many colors. Uh, Zerda. <laughs> and I'm bringing up specifically um, Kinnon, Zerda, and Emil because I've been playing uh, Advantage Thrasios, which I originally actually got from Kalapot from you. I, I took your list, and then I started just like tweaking that and playing that for the past, I don't know how many le- uh, months. But uh, Emil, Zerda, and Kinnon basically created that deck. For sure. Uh, and it's been so much fun for me for the past couple months. It's, a, I think, a real contender and almost, if not just as good as Ad Nauseam decks, if you play them correctly. Um, so Kinnon, Zerda, and Emil get their own little honorable mention for me. But realistically, uh, I'm giving Winota my vote here. Absolutely. Uh, my choice was actually Kinnon, um, just because of the fact that I feel like that is, it is spawned a a deck that uh, Pongo is very fond of um, that, in my opinion, is one of the top decks in the format. Um, maybe not, like, top 10, uh, but I think it's certainly a consideration as one of the, the top good players in the format. I think it um, is. I think, and, 
yeah it, it it just it's one of those decks i i remember seeing that printed and i was like i feel like this is on par with thrasios as far as power level goes and yep. uh it, it, it's it, a mana it doubler is... two mana it's a two mana mana doubler it, the card is yeah. absolutely insane my buddy tyler plays it obviously and it just what seeing what it does sometimes is in only two colors it's incredible yeah, yeah. It, it it being only two mana it just it it really blew me away with how far they pushed that card, and I don't think it gets the love it deserves either, um, because I feel like it's been overshadowed. What'd you say? Because partners are too good. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. you. I apologize. But partners are so good. It's it's hard. It is. Well, and the, and that's also part of it is it's just I feel like so many other good cards in red and all these other colors came out this year that people just kind of forgot about it. But I think this was easily one of the better cards that come out this year. Um, and really, like you said, it, I mean, it, it is a two mana mana doubler, which is insane. And it's a one card combo with Basalt Monolith, which is bananas. Um, so, I mean, it's it's just one of those things where. Uh, you know, I like Winota. I think Winota is really good. I think uh, Meal is really good, but Kinnan just made a new deck. And, uh, you know, to do that in blue green, I, I feel like to be a blue green commander worthy of helming your own deck is uh, worth being called one of the best cards of the year, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess the only thing I would add about Kinnan, you know, other than all the things that have been said thus far, is, you know, it's. As you said before, it helms its own blue-green deck, and blue-green is, um, you know, there's a lot of competition there, which is with Thrasios. Um, but uh, no, I, I just wanted to point out uh, that uh, Kinnan actually ended up winning sort of one of the big CDH tournaments of the year, the uh, Oktoberfest uh, or mm -hmm. Oktoberfest uh, 2020 CDH tournament, um, and it was piloted by Tsunami um and and managed to take the whole thing um so i think that's certainly a testament to how powerful that deck is um yeah and you know it, it took a little bit of development uh when the deck kind of first came out you know people were kind of playing it just as a scepter deck but then when the mirror lines were developed i think that really uh brought it back into the spotlight after people had kind of uh you know lost a little bit of uh interest in in trying to develop that deck because it kind of absolutely yeah it kind of just kind of felt like it had plateaued but now it's uh now it's a real contender absolutely i totally agree with that so we went through uh the first uh seven categories of our awards show tonight uh those categories were the best of white blue black red green colorless and multicolor cards up next we are going to start moving into the card type categories uh, kicking this off, I feel like, uh, is a pretty standard and I'm going to kind of just breeze through these first two, uh, cause we've kind of already talked about them, uh, in, in some, in some depth, uh, but is the creature category. Um, and so all of us did select Thassa's Oracle <laughs> as our, uh, as our creature, uh, best creature of 2020. And, uh, we've all given lots of explanations on this, but since Pongo didn't select it as his top blue card of 2020. Pongo, why is it that you think Thassa's Oracle is the best creature of 2020? Well, so it's the best, it's the best blue card and it's the best creature of 2020. I don't disagree with all of you. Um, as I said earlier, right at the beginning of the episode, uh, I was trying to make sure that I picked a different card for every category. 
And I kind of just thought that, you know, like, if we're talking about, like, essentially, if we're, like, picking the best card of a color, that doesn't feel, like, in my mind, as if it's, like, the best card of an entire creature or entire card type. So we're going to see, like, a lot of these cards that have been previously named in sort of the top for best card of a certain color uh, coming back finally in in my rankings uh, for the best card type just because, at least in my mind, they're, it's, it's, it's slightly more prestigious, more prestigious or, uh, yeah, there's more prestige. <laughs> okay. So this is more like, you know, best director instead yes, exactly. of, uh, you know, just best <laughs> producer or whatever. Right. You know, exactly. There you go. Um, best costume, <laughs> best visual effects. Um, right. Cinematography. There you go. Um, in the next category, we have best artifact of 2020. We all chose the uh, Jeweled Lotus as the best colorless card of 2020. Uh, so if you want to hear what we have to say about Jeweled Lotus, uh, you can really go ahead and check it out in the colorless section. This was not an Eldrazi year, uh, so there weren't a lot of different, or not, not a lot to differentiate between uh, colorless and artifacts this year uh, that you would generally have, um, you know. Maybe in a year where there's some Eldrazi, or maybe an Ugin was printed, something along those lines, or a Karn. Um, but we didn't have that this year. Um, so now moving into the uh, you know more unique category is uh, the best instant of 2020. And uh, you know I'm gonna go ahead and uh, Pongo, you start off off last round uh, with your pick. Uh, what is your pick for the best instant of 2020? So there's a lot of really powerful instants that came out this year, but um, I think that the one that felt the most powerful to me was Deflecting Swat. Um, and so obviously we have an entire cycle of these like free, uh, you know, free spells so long as you control your commander. And that's already just powerful in and of itself because free spells are insanely strong. Uh, but this one in particular, and you know, another one that I'm sure will get mentioned, um, these are interaction, uh, and their protection, you know, for combos, um, you know, and they kind of operate on an axis that's relevant for CEDH, unlike, you know, some of the other free spells that exist in, in magic and were printed recently or, ex- you know, were printed sometime in magic's history. Um, so deflecting SWAT in particular, uh, I really like it, um, because it kind of, pr- it, does do a great job of being a protective counterspell against opponent's counterspells because you can redirect them to deflecting SWAT. So it has that misdirection type effect. Um, so you can use it aggressively for that as uh, on the one hand. But on the other hand, it's also really excellent uh, at countering certain sort of like really annoying spells that uh, uh, historically have been very, very powerful and very, very hard to deal with. Um, you know, I think the number one example of that is Abrupt Decay, which Deflecting Swat can sort of redirect, effectively counter if it's targeting one of your things, and that's relevant for all kinds of decks. Obviously, I play Najila, and so it's relevant if they do that, if they try to Abrupt Decay Najila or Derevi, and, you know, you're holding three counter spells, but none of them stop the Abrupt Decay. Um, but Deflecting Swat is kind of like, 
the card that not single-handedly, but was sort of like the second punch of the one-two punch that I think like really got people to reconsider Dovin's Veto as particularly good and worth running. Um, you know, obviously two-mana interaction is is the type of thing that people are just reevaluating in general. But, uh, you know, in particular now that we have Veil of Summer and Deflecting Swat uh, as two cards that can effectively counter an uncounterable counterspell, um, that card has kind of just... Um, you know, fallen off uh, in a lot of people's esteem. You know, people aren't really looking that card, looking at that card the same way, um, because it's kind of not the end all be all that it used to be uh, of, of protection or defensive counter spells. Uh, deflecting SWAT. You know, again, great when you're being proactive. Uh, it can deal with certain problematic things like abrupt decay that I talked about. Um, there's also like a wide variety of abilities that you would want to redirect. For example, like a Gilded Drake uh, targeting one of your cards. Uh, you know, historically it can be pretty tough to counter creatures. Gilded Drake is one of the most widely played creatures, and when it's pointed at one of your really important pieces, that really feels bad. But if you can deflect and swat it elsewhere, great. Um, you know, it, it it's super powerful against cards like uh, Peer into the Abyss, turning. You know, where any counterspell, on the one hand, would be really strong into pure, uh, into the Abyss as far as just preventing it from happening it uh, at all, Deflecting Swat kind of lets you turn it into a win condition for yourself, which is mm. absurd. At instant at, speed. Yeah, at instant speed for no mana. For free. Yeah, somebody else does all the hard work and you get all the reward. Um, <laughs> so, so this card is just wild. And, you know, on top of that entire list um, is just the fact that it's, protection it's it's all of these things but it's also not blue which means that decks that are not running blue which are already you know pretty disadvantaged on the interaction and protection front uh have gotten another piece that really helps them a whole whole lot and uh that's one of the big reasons why i feel like deflecting swat uh kind of edges out uh a card that i imagine will be discussed shortly <laughs> so cobble uh going off of that uh, what is your pick for best instant of 2020? I mean, my my pick was Fierce Guardianship. And really, hearing Pongo talk about it, <laughs> I I actually do think that I want to switch my, my answer to Deflecting okay. Swat. Um, just because uh, of how wide of a range of targets it has. Um, I think Fierce Guardianship is just kind of the intuitive choice that everyone picks. And I mean, that's kind of what it was for me. It's like, well, this is this is just the this is the one um, just because it's, you know, just straightforward. It's another free counterspell that's in blue and, you know, doesn't have card disadvantage. But I mean, Deflecting Swat also does indeed have uh, all of those same quality qualities and yeah, interacts with, you know, you know, creature ETBs if, if they've got a target and, you know. Uh, there, there's just a whole bunch of, of I, I think, uh, niche applications that reward people who are quick to think on their feet. And um, for that reason, I think I, I am going to switch up and I'm going to I'm going to choose deflecting. Swat. OK, Callahan, I need you to post like a success kid meme. And it just says like <laughs> Pongo, like successfully convinces Cobblepot of anything. <laughs> yep. Without precedent. <laughs> so, Dylan, um, what is your pick then for best um, best instant of 2020? 
Yeah, uh, mine is also Deflecting Swat. Uh, de- although Deflecting Swat and Fierce Guardian Chip are obviously pretty close. Um, for me, the def- the the def- differentiating factor is that Fierce Guardian Chip normally stops you from falling behind. It stops you from losing or it protects your piece, whereas um, Deflecting Swat actually can kind of catapult you ahead. If you can stop someone from taking your... Um, your creature and they take instead something else you, you make the guild Jake fail or or you're able to take someone's peer into the abyss and instead of them winning you win instead the uh, the ceiling is much much higher I think on deflecting SWAT and also the another big one is it's not blue so non-blue decks get some free interaction which makes them actually playable because to be honest I really can't play a deck that doesn't have blue because of the free interaction thing and deflecting SWAT is a good uh, is a good way in the, in the right direction of that more interaction I think in non-blue Okay. Um, well, I'm <laughs> unfortunately the, the 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 weirdo here, I suppose. Um, picking the safe choice, I guess. Um, I I did pick fierce guardianship, and uh, you know what? I'm gonna talk about Lavinia again. It's another piece for Lavinia. Um, that of that is a that is a place that you know. Well, and you know, all seriousness, it is a, another free. Um, interact a free counter spell and uh one of the things that i do think that is not discussed enough about some of these cards is those cards get a lot better as you scale the cmc of your commander down um you know roger for example is a really good uh you know example of um how busted those cards can be as your commander gets cheaper um, and so in a two color, two CMC commander deck like Lavinia, a free counter spell, you know, especially since you're trying to get her out on turn one every game, always, um, you know, a free counter spell that can very easily defend her um, is, you know, gas in the tank. Um, and so, you know. I think it's been established on this podcast and in our gameplay series that I am not the proactive player in our group. I am very much the uh, mid-range prison stacks decks player in the group. Um, so I like the counterspell. I, I, I will definitely take the free counterspell personally. And importantly, it's blue, so you can actually play it in Lavinia. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That is That's that the, is a big that is a big bone. You know what? If I could play deflecting SWAT in Lavinia, I absolutely could. Like, would, no would doubt about sway, it. Would that sway your opinion? Um, if it was blue, maybe. Um, you know. Yeah, fierce guardianship does consider. have that. It's blue, and blue is just a better color than red. Still, so yeah, yeah. I, and that's the thing is, just, I just end up playing blue decks so much more um, that I'm very reluctant like I, I i gen like i know red's had a great year but i'm not as enamored with red as everybody else is i'm still a i i i'm not in on the ikra crom thing i'm still a you know i'm playing Crom right now that deck is sick. what'd you say i'm playing ikra crom right now that deck is sick i have that deck brewed together <laughs> interesting yeah uh you, you know, just need hey. to transcend color identity like i have and play five <laughs> colors <laughs> well, you know, my next my next deck blunt. that I'm working on that I'm going to be putting out here soon um, once I kind of smooth off some of the edges is a five color deck too. So, no worries. I've got a I've got a I've got a stack deck in the in the in the tank for y'all. Um but going on to our next uh category, 
we've talked about these cards previously, but in different contexts, so it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out here, is Best Sorcery of 2020. And, uh, you know, uh, Cobblepot, you did pick uh, Peer Into the Abyss as your best black card of 2020. So what do you think is the best sorcery of 2020? I mean... I, you know, not going to lie that, you know, Peer into the Abyss is, is definitely a consideration for the, for the best sorcery. And, um, you know, maybe at one point in the year, I, you know, if you were to ask me this, say a month or two ago, I probably would have chosen that as, as the best one. Uh, but since then we've, we've seen Commander Legends come out <laughs> and we've had the printing of Jessica's will. And this is one of those cards where there was, you know, kind of, stratified you know kind of divided uh i I would say acceptance of it when it was you know first announced and you know some people thought wow this is really great and some people thought you know this is okay and um i i think as people have have gotten some runtime with it and have been able to play with it uh I, i i think universally people have kind of all come to the agreement that this is this is a a significant departure uh from from maybe what it was originally expect, uh, expected to do this is a, this is a card that you know very very uh consistently is going to give you five six seven mana for for three mana invested and most of the time will get you three cards on top of it and for the 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 direction the trajectory that the metagame is taking right now with everybody going you know ham with their 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 turbo naws they're you know really greedy high acceleration kind of uh type types of game plans that they want to do i mean you're you're i mean of course we're going to continually go back to that that gameplay with the <laughs> turn one jessica's will going into you know the pure and you know all that kind of stuff um that's not the typical use case but i mean sure you can you can use off the back of jessica's will there's a whole bunch more ways to get a turn one card. Yeah, i mean it's, or, it's know, certainly a great um, example of the ceiling for that card Right, um, but e- even the floor of, of this card is 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 still. I mean, the the floor of the card is is what seething song. Right, and you know, um, you 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 would still see seething song in you know some some fringe use cases, but uh, I I think this is one of those cards where people are are, are very rarely going to be using it in that floor case. Most of the time, you're going to be seeing three cards and getting you know a ton of mana out of it. And in the shells that are running it, they are always, always, always going to have a way to make use of those cards and of that mana. So it's just always an excellent card. And it's, you know, early game, late game, it's it's always an excellent draw off the top. Absolutely. Um, so, Dylan, uh, what is your opinion on what the best sorcery spell of 2020 was? Actually, before we even move on, move on to the... Uh, one thing that just clicked with me, like I am this moment years old when I realized that the will cards were all um, modeled after and named after Yogmoth's will. Mm-hmm. Um, I just made that realization and that they're all like people from that story, like time period. Um, it, it that took me way too long to, <laughs> to process that information. <laughs> You have to work in that squirrel meme or whatever. You're like, dun, dun, dun. You know, the, 
somehow dramatic chord. Um, but yeah. So anyway, now that I've made that realization <laughs> at a, you know, finally a, a month after its release, um, Dylan, what is your pick for best sorcery of 2020? I did not go with Jessica's will with, although I, I do think it's very powerful and I probably, I, I'm time made time, time may change, you know, as time changes, my opinion may change about this. But uh, Peer into the Abyss is just the card that I've cast more times, just as well as still very new. And Peer into the Abyss wins me the game almost every single time. I mean, basically any time it resolves, it wins me the game. So um, Peer into the Abyss is going to be one for me. I just think it's such a powerful card. It adds so much to the Ad Nauseam strategy being in a second copy. And like I said before, you know, it can it can draw you your half your deck no matter what. doesn't care how much your life total is. Um, but Jessica's Will is very powerful, especially Jessica's Will with Underworld Breach, getting to fire off a Jessica's Will multiple times in a turn to make your Breach go a little bit longer using the top of your library and just adding a ton more mana. Um, it's a, it's definitely a very powerful card. But for me, Appearance of the Abyss is the one. Absolutely. Pongo, what is your opinion? Yeah, so um, probably will come as no surprise to anybody that uh, this is where Appearance of the Abyss makes it onto my list. Um so I think, yeah, everybody raised some very good points, but, you know, as much as I said that Jessica's Will was sort of like the best or, you know, my favorite red card of 2020, uh, I don't think it really holds a candle to peer into the abyss in terms of uh, absolute strength. Uh, Jessica's Will, obviously, you know, while it is very powerful and oftentimes will just kind of be seething song uh, at minimum, you know, is really at its best when you're playing low co- casting cost commanders. Um, and you know, one trend that we have seen in a lot of these sort of turbo Nas decks that would maybe want Jessica's will is that they tend to be playing more expensive commanders, uh, because these cards are not in the 99 or the 98. Um, so they don't hurt your ad Nas curve. And additionally, you kind of just want to have something that can take advantage of the fact that you've built a very sort of synergy based deck, which is to say that your deck is predominantly, um, you know, mana sources, and then you're using those mana sources to synergize with either one card type win conditions like Pure into the Abyss or Ad Nauseam, or, um, you know, wheel effects that also synergize with having lots of fast mana, or, you know, things like Underworld Breach, which further synergize with having just lots of fast mana and lots of mana. So being able to pour, um, you know, sort of <clears throat> a lot of mana into more expensive commanders, uh, you know, means that Jessica's Will isn't always at its best, in my opinion, uh, in, in those types of shells, because you're not always going to have access to your sort of outlet commander. Um, or, you know, you're going to have something better to do with your mana, which is oftentimes going to be doing something like casting a peer into the abyss. Um, and exactly to Dylan's point, you know, this is the type of card that is a major payoff for those decks that are just looking to essentially mulligan into lots of mana and then find some some sort of payoff for that. Absolutely. Um, my pick was Jessica's Will to even it out. Um, and I had made that pick far before uh, I saw either the Pure into the Abyss picks. Um, but it really comes down to me um, for the fact that it's just gas. Um, every time I've ever seen it used, it always leads to either a win or some sort of insurmountable advantage from the player who has it. Um, and like I said, there, there is that sort of floor there where, you know, um, 
the you know has that ability to kind of just be a seething song but even just being a seething song is pretty all right um considering that decks that even want to be playing seething song like this just feels just straight up better than that um so for me that i mean when it's a seething song it's still better than a seething song a lot of the time because it's not going to be bound to exactly five mana. a lot of times it's going to be right. seven well yeah but conversely um, it could be worse right <laughs> This is yeah, true. To the base is always I mean, drawing me half of the deck. Most, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's that, also that true. Is, that is fair. Um, but like I said, uh, Jessica's will, you know, it it doesn't kill you off of a Nas. Um, it certainly makes the um, the game a lot easier to play. Um, and I think something that I don't think gets mentioned enough is how it really powers up uh, mono red strategies in a really powerful way. Um, and I don't think that the uh, increase in power to Goto uh, has not been discussed nearly enough um, throughout the community. Um, and I think some of that is because, you know, we all have kind of the short attention span where we're all attracted to the new thing. Everybody wants to be playing the new commanders and always want to do something new and interesting. Um, Goto, I feel like, is significantly better than it was a month ago, um, just off of the back of Jeweled Lotus and Jessica's Will. And yes. that is... What'd you say? I said, dude, yes. <laughs> I think Goto players are just biding their time. You know, you could even <laughs> say Goto players are waiting for the next big tournament where they can just bust out all these new cards that they've gotten and just absolutely mop the floor. And then Somewhere will be Ryan... like, whoa, Goto got... Uh, black lotus and goto got <laughs> yeah uh, you know a seven mana a seven mana ritual like when did all this happen <laughs> somewhere ryan is smiling right now um because i'm you know discussing about how it, it's it's still like you know you know if i'm going back to the tier list i still think it's like a b or c tier you know commander in deck but the the fact that Jessica's will has powered that up. Here's another one for you. Uh, when you look at you know Dylan, you've been playing um, Tim the Jessica some. I mean, the power that it gives to the Mad Farm strategy is very substantial and so uh, worthwhile to really address. Um, you know, Imperial into the Abyss is something that some of those lists don't always run uh, because they might not want it off of the the Adnaws. Uh, but they're always going to be running Jessica's will, and uh, I I just think it's it's such a good addition to uh, powering up some of these lower uh, lower colored decks uh, and giving them more access to things that you know maybe pure is is very good in the decks that it's good in, um, but certainly isn't such a piece of access that it makes um, decks that were previously uh, struggling significantly better in that regard counterpoint um, if you put peer into the abyss on your list more times that's more opportunities to rub it in morgan's face about how wrong he is about this card see but i don't disagree with morgan that much like i think that he has a bit of a hyperbolic take on it um but i don't think it's like I think it's certainly overblown how good it is from from certain angles, personally. I'm not super um, familiar with the take, but I can tell you that Peer into the Abyss is nutty good. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm let me let me clarify. I don't think it's bad. I do not think it is a bad card. But um there are certainly voices on the internet 
in the CDH community who believe that it is cobble pot. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. Who think it's a lot better what? than I, than I really evaluate it at, and I, I I still think it's really good, um, but I don't think it's the the best sorcery of 2020 personally. Um, but do you think it's cobblepot? Do I think it's cobblepot? <laughs> I don't think it is. I think I'm cobblepot. I think it definitely personifies uh, what I think of what cobblepot plays. Certainly, at least this year. Um, I I feel like most of your brews this year have somehow outside of like the um the Ken the Kenrith lists have been on some sort of peer strategy it's felt like um yeah that's probably yeah. true but anything with black has peer in it that's fair um but moving on to our next category, we're going to kind of breeze through this one here a little bit just because we've already discussed this card in depth. Excuse me. Would you say we've we've discussed it ad nauseum? Uh, yes. Um, we certainly <laughs> we certainly have. Um, but is um the best enchantment of 2020? And uh, Dylan, do you really want? Do you want to go ahead and uh, unveil to the world this big surprise of what the best enchantment of 2020 is for us? Underworld breach. Um, Shocker. It's Underworld Breach. <laughs> two mana. Uh, it's an effective win con. It's an effective at getting you to your win con. Uh, it's effective at buying back your combos when you need to. It's two mana. Did I say that? It's a very good card for many reasons. Um, but the main ones being it's two mana <laughs> and it's a combo piece. The fact that it's two mana, I just... <laughs> God, cast that, it off a right that of card is... No big deal. It is. What formats is that banned in? It's banned in Pioneer, and it was banned in. Was it Legacy? Banned in Legacy. That's right. Yeah. Do you realize how insane a card has to be uh, to get banned out of Legacy? Like, yeah, it has to be just, like Deathrite Shaman. I'm still trying good. to. <laughs> I'm still trying to imagine what the original pitch was. It's like, okay, guys, hang with me here. I'm thinking Yogmoth's will but better, but one mana cheaper, and. Um, instead of exiling the cards after you cast them, you can just keep on casting them again and again until you get whatever result you need to. Like, oh yeah! I, I, if it just exiled the card after, like totally different story. Like if it was perfectly just reasonable flashback. to totally reasonable to print and, it, but like the fact that you get to do it over and over again is really what makes this card absurd and makes the design like <laughs> questionable. <laughs> It, it's just, it's every time, like, I, there was a period of time where, because I watch a lot of Legacy streams, where Legacy was just unwatchable uh, between Underworld Breach and Luris. It was just so difficult to watch Legacy for a brief period of time at the beginning of the year. Um, yeah, and like you said, I think that the be, being able to reuse spells, like being able to Demonic Tutor for Underworld Breach and then escape the Demonic Tutor for Brain Freeze and then cast Brain Freeze and fill up your graveyard and then escape the Demonic Tutor for Lion's Eye Diamond and being able to get all of that there just from with the same Demonic Tutor, just casting it over and over again and finding a win from nowhere if you have enough cards in your graveyard and enough mana. It, right. yeah. I mean, what other card? What other card could prompt CEDH players to play Brain Freeze? Yeah, <laughs> it it really should have had the Yogmoth's Will clause of like, if a card is put into your graveyard this turn, exile it. Um, I mean, that's the thing that really makes it so much better than Yogg's Will. Then that was the thing that I think drew people's eyes to it as soon it w as as it was revealed. That it's like, whoa, wait a minute, you you can do it again. 
really? Really? <laughs> Gavin, yeah, did you makes, forget something? Which um, is like, it makes it like Jessica's Will insane with Underworld Breach, right? Because your Jessica's right. Will makes seven mana, and then you use three of it to cast your Jessica's Will again, and you make another seven mana, and you use three of that to cast it again. And as you're doing that, you know, if you just brain freeze, you can get rid of a couple empty cards, and you're also exiling, you know, three, six, nine cards off the top that can get you even further if the cards in your graveyard off your ad nauseum or whatever didn't quite get you there. Right. Yeah, I suppose it's, it's only fitting. If I've learned anything from playing Hades this year, it's that you can never escape the underworld. It, it, it has a way of just pulling you back in all the time. There's no breaching the underworld, you might say. <laughs> well, once you so, once you have, it, it pulls you back. All right. So, Callahan, would you say that Destiny Spinner... Um, also contends for the best enchantment of 2020. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. I guess it, I mean, is it makes an your underworld breach uncounterable. It does make underworld breach uncounterable. Um, and it's in green. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> I deserve that. Um, Moving on. So uh, on to our next category is the best planeswalker of 2020 um my original pick was oko um and then <laughs> pongo kindly reminded me in 2020. yeah it, i was kindly reminded this morning uh that oko was printed in 2019 it feels like a 2020 card to me um but alas it was not we just felt all of its effects in 2020 yeah 2020 um, is kind of a blur to be fair i thought dockside right. was printed this year i'll be honest with you yeah, I thought that for a moment, too. <laughs> I, I feel like it didn't really pop on, like, pop off as much as it had until, like, post-Flash, right? I think it took a second because everyone had to see it and play, and then everyone had right. to play the second dock side. You know what I mean? Like, the first person who plays the dock side is not good, but then, I mean, it's good. But when you're the dock side, when you play what? the dock side after the other guy plays the dock side or whatever, then you're like, oh, yeah, if I play it, then they have to play it, so then everyone has to play it. Right smothering tithe <laughs> so anyway uh best planeswalker of the year pongo what was your pick for best planeswalker of 2020 i feel like this one's going to su surprise a lot of people uh certainly a lot of our viewers might be a little bit surprised to hear this one but um my pick for the best planeswalker of 2020 was tevesh sot actually um, first of all, Doom of Fools, that's an incredible name, right? <laughs> uh, but no, to, more more seriously, um, you know, I think a lot of people probably would have assumed that I would have picked Jessica here um, because Jessica kind of feels like the type of card that people were really excited about when it was first revealed and Tevish thought kind of like, you know, people were like, yeah, okay, Tevish thought's cool, whatever. Uh, let's talk more about Jessica. And what I feel like has kind of happened with Jessica is that, you know, Jessica has her deck and like, that's it. You know, like people, as far as I know, are like basically playing Jessica Timna and like, that's the deck. That's, it's a great deck, but like Tevish Zot is now showing up in like a wide variety of contexts uh, with lots of different partner commanders and is just such a powerful card advantage engine and just gives you so much material to work with that Jessica does not. Jessica is great as an outlet, infinite mana outlet, um, but like what Tevesh Zot brings to the table is, you know, bodies that you can use 
you know, for like calling the weak type effects, diabolic intent type of type effects. Um, for his own ability, letting you draw cards, uh, he's got a ton of loyalty and just like pluses like crazy. Um, you know, drawing two cards by sacrificing a, a one of the two zero ones that he produces is absurd and sometimes you draw three cards by like sacrificing like a thrasios or something if you happen to be partnered with thrasios um which is an incredible amount of card advantage um he doesn't have the problem that a lot of people have been having with timna these days where which is where it feels like timna doesn't connect as reliably with multiple opponents um you know he's able to generate a lot more um material on the board that than timna can uh, and, you know, all the while is working towards a, an incredibly powerful ultimate, which, uh, you know, a lot of people say don't evaluate Planeswalkers based on their ultimate, but Tevisat comes down and can immediately have six loyalty, and then in like two more turns gets to that ultimate, um, which is super fast, and, you know, having a plus two means that he's really, really sticky. Like, he stays on the board really, really well. He generates blockers with his plus two as well. So it's like, it's so hard to get rid of him when he comes down. And if the game ends up going long, if you can't close it out early like you're hoping to, um, you know, he'll probably just get there over a long enough game. And I think you pretty much always win when you take control of everyone else's commander or commanders (laughs) in a lot of cases. Um, so yeah, he's, he's kind of nutty and I think uh, a lot of people overlooked him. Yeah. Um, Cobble, what's your pick for best commander of 2020? I also chose Tevish Zat and, um, you know, for, for very much the same reasons that Pongo kind of illustrated there. I, I see him as kind of being the, uh, the, the perfect, and this is going to sound funny, but kind of like the perfect farm partner um when you when you're looking at card advantage engines that you can have in in the command zone you know immediately people think of thrasios they think of timna they think of Kraum. you know the those are I, I think the big three that everybody thinks about and you know each one of them kind of has a you know s- some drawbacks around how it is that they, they want to be drawing cards you know, Thrasios, you, you either need to have cost reducers in play or you need to, you know, find uh, kind of this critical mass of, 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 you know, mana that you can then sink into him and not be using for other things to be able to draw your cards. You know, Timna is really good early, but then once the board gets gummed up, then her ability is, you know, much diminished if you, you can't get, you know, good evasive creatures to stick on the battlefield. Kraum is, you know, excellent, but is very... Uh, kind of beholden to what your opponents are doing, you know, especially if someone get, gets rule of law onto the onto the table, or you know, your opponents are just uh, not able to execute on their plans. Then he kind of just you know isn't drawing you the cards. Um, Tevisat is like very uh, low variance. He's you know always going to to draw you two cards. Sometimes he'll draw you three, but just being very very deterministic on that you know, in and of itself is, is, you know, high praise. In addition to that, he is, is creating these, you know, these little zero ones that, you know, like, like Pongo was saying, they're, they're, they're blockers, but they're also, you know, basically your farm animals. So, you know, whether you're doing infernal plunge, calling the weak, diabolic intent, um, skull clamp, you know, uh, the, he, he's kind of, 
like you know the 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 best of the existing card advantage you know, he's got the best qualities of the existing card advantage partners kind of coupled with the things that make Roger really good and that he's kind of like just this throwaway fodder for sacrifice effects and can be used with you know a uh, spring leaf drum and you know various other things and the fact that both of his his abilities are pluses means that he's just constantly marching his loyalty up and up and up and his ultimate is absolutely terrifying and you never you, you don't actually need to engage his ultimate to be to be getting the value out of him but that just the possibility of that ultimate forces the hands of your opponents to you know either maybe try to go for a win faster than they maybe should and thus you know are, are more likely to get disrupted or they have to take a tempo hit and spend their mana and their resources to find a way to disrupt the your your Tevisat because if they don't then i mean if if the ultimate ever does go off it's it's absolutely horrifying so it's it's just an incredible card and you know most of the the decks that are playing this that are you know in black it, it's you know a calling the weak in a land is all you need to to just slam them onto the table and there's a lot to be said for having the flexibility in the command zone to be able to say, oh, I, I've got an opening hand with a lot of acceleration, but I don't have a tutor to go get a Nause or you know, to get a Necropotence or to get a Peer. Um, well, that's fine. Here, I'm just going to Dark Ritual, Rock, Land, oh, Tevisat, turn one. Okay, great. And you're off to the races. Having that flexibility cannot be understated it's just a tremendous tremendous card um i absolutely personally i weigh um you know undersold it when when i first saw it i you know overlooked it and moved on um my my opinion has has changed 180 it's i it's a tremendous card and i think it's great dylan um we've heard a lot about tevish uh <laughs> over the past few minutes what is your opinion on the best planeswalker of 2020? It's it's certainly uh what it, what would it be? <laughs> uh yeah, so I didn't go with Tevershot. Um that might be because I haven't actually cast or um seen a Tevershot in play yet for some reason. I don't know why. It just haven't hasn't come up in my playgroup. I chose che Jessica Thrice Reborn. Um I think Jessica did a lot for the Mad Farm strategy. I think it brought it to be an actual deck i didn't really think mad farm was a deck before when it was with bruise and timna um i just I, it didn't have the consistency the consistency for me um but i played it a little bit with the timna and jessica i think jessica although doesn't order doesn't offer direct card advantage she does offer card advantage in the sense of normally you're three for oneing when you cast her um and not only that, you're also normally getting rid of mana dorks a lot of the time, which means that in a weird way, she's kind of ramping you. She's not, but she's providing you, um, you know, declining your opponents, their mana advantage is in some way increasing your own mana advantage, I think, anyway. Um, she's also right. three mana, so she's much easier to cast much quicker. This is CDH, so we can make five mana on turn one pretty easy, but we can make three mana on one turn one even easier. So um, her getting on the board as soon as possible... Um, much easier is another big one for me. Um, and she's also obviously uh, an infinite mana outlet. Once you get infinite mana, you can cast her a bunch and kill the whole table. Super powerful card, and I think she's done so much for the Mad Farm strategy. Uh, although I, I still don't think Mad Farm in Mardu is the optimal way to play that deck, uh, I think it's much more possible now. For sure. 
I think um, Jessica also uh, goes a long way um, towards, I think, diminishing the power of Timna decks in, in the metagame, just the presence of Jessica, just because, you know, essentially just by her presence, she can just shoot down um, the evasive, you know, uh, flyers that, that people might be running or the dorks that people might be using or, t- you know, uh, Timna herself. So I think Jessica has, I think, taken over the uh, curious control kind of dimension to the metagame where the the idea was to just keep everybody else's creatures, their, their smaller creatures off the battlefield, and it has a, a, a very profound effect, I think, against those lists. It is kind of interesting yeah, how, yeah, I agree, Jessica is good at stopping Timna decks, but is also really good in Timna decks because she clears blockers out of the way to make sure that Timna right. and other creatures can get through. So it, it's a kind of an interesting dynamic she presents. Absolutely. Yeah, and I I honestly totally agree with Dylan on this. Um, for me personally, when I saw uh, Jessica get... Um, spoiled i immediately was like this is really cool i'm excited about this this is awesome um it does a couple of things um that i think one she obviously the infinite mana um or the infinite mana outlet in the zone is huge um and i and i don't want to undersell that and i and i know we've talked about that quite a bit um but especially in my experience playing the deck uh timna jessica Obviously, I'm not the best, um, like, turbo pilot in the world, so um, take this for what it's worth. But, um, you know, kind of how I feel about it is she really opens up a lot of what you're able to do, um, and she fixes the win-con question uh, that Mad Farm had previously, where Mad Farm before was kind of doing this, you know, we're running dual caster and Leon and Relic Order loops and all this stuff, and it's like this Rudy Ruby Goldberg machine of a win con in your deck, and you're just your slot efficiency is just hot garbage. Um, and now what you're seeing with it is these Mad Farm lists are real slick um, and get to run very precise and good cards, um, and so the quality of that decks cards overall has just went through the roof uh, compared to where it was a month ago um and so i i i certainly think that it is one of the best planeswalkers i think it's the best um tevish i think is really good um but for me jessica brought a brought a fringe deck into the into the main kind of um like meta considerations uh, you really you're you you're gonna see Jessica Timna floating around out there, and uh, before you really didn't see a whole lot of of Mardu outside of uh, maybe who's the guy who plays uh, the Kalia deck uh, to fairly good a bad dog yeah Mad Dog um, like outside of him bad you dog. know you you're not gonna see a whole lot of Mardu floating around out there um, so for that alone you know Jessica gets the vote for me so we're split on the Planeswalkers. Um, but up next, we've got the lands category, and um, it was very interesting because 2019 had a lot of awesome lands. And again, my, when I was originally putting this, I was still under this weird headspace where I thought that Throne of Eldraine was in 2020 for some reason. And so I originally thought Mystic Sanctuary. Well, again, Pongo pointed out 
Well, that was in 2020. And then I realized there weren't a whole lot of lands that came out in 2020. Um, so uh, because of that cobble, what is the land or land cycle that you really landed on as the, the best of 2020? Right. I, I, I think that it kind of goes without saying that the completion of the, the battle bond cycle or the cycle that began in battle bond um, gave us, you know, a, a, a set of, you know, tapless uh, dual lands, basically, that filled out the, uh, the rest of the colors that um, weren't provided in the original battle bond set. Mm-hmm. So the main one that you're going to see is going to be training center just because Grixis is so hot right now. So the, the, that's the, is it land and, you know, undergrowth stadium. And I, to be honest, I don't even recall the other ones because those are the, the, the two main ones that, that I see uh, get the most play as of right now, at least. But um, yeah, I, we, the last time we talked about these lands, I, th- I think when we did the set review uh, for commander legends, we, we kind of talked about how if, if we're just talking about color and we're not talking about, you know, any other special abilities that might, might be bound to, you know, to, to a land, we're really, really close to, to having perfect mana, especially in five color. Um, so I, I, I think that the, the battle bond lands are, are certainly a welcome addition because, you know, it's nice to be able to, to complete that cycle and, and have access to the, to those, those lands, you know, especially for, you know, lower color pairings, like, you know, two color. Um, but I, I don't think that they were required and I don't feel like they really are, you know, filling, a, a you know, a sorely needed gap that was existing or anything like that. So as, as much as I would have liked to have had, you know, um, you know, like, uh, emergence zone or you know uh the 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 blasting i forget what the land was that blasting um, station blast zone yeah blast zone is that yeah. all yeah. the zones um, blasting zone blasting right. zone the, sorry the, i mean like wizards was in the zone <laughs> when they came up with those lands but um you know, you know un- unfortunately we don't have any and anything quite like that which i i think are probably more interesting and would be you know more useful in the metagame uh, just because of how difficult lands are to, to interact with and their abilities. Uh, so, I mean, we, we could be in worse places to, to, to be like, well, I guess the best we have is, is more dual lands. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's a great place to be in, I guess. So, but I, you know, given what we had, this is, this is the best that we got. And I, I think that they're a, a welcome addition. Yeah. Um, you know, Dylan Pongo, what do you guys think? Not much more to say. They're great for tainted pack decks if you're on uh, a low color. I'm not going to put it in every four and five color decks, but I'll put some of them in some four color decks, uh, and they're definitely better for lower colors. Great land to be added for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I agree entirely. Um, That's it. Uh, Super good for two color tainted pack decks. Um, Also super great for for budget decks. Um, Always really good to get good fixing for those. Um, the only other thing I think to add is that there was just not a whole lot of competition for this slot. Um, we could have been talking right. about like the modal double faced cards, those lands. Uh, very few of those have like made their way into some decks, you know, um, like Kinnon, for example, can support like the blue one as just kind of like a random potential other spell that maybe you'll cast one in every like 100 games, if that often. 
Um, I know that Michael on Heliod is, is playing a surprising amount of the white ones, uh, just because that's a deck that wants to have like that higher spell density while also playing like a slightly higher land count and apparently can get away with playing tapped lands um, a little bit more often. But uh, overall, I, I don't think that those have really like made their way and, and sort of penetrated into like the broader CDH sphere uh, nearly to the same extent as just uh, sort of generic fixing lands like the Battle Bond lands. I have played a little bit of Shatter Skull Smashing, uh, the red mythic, if that counts as a land. I don't think that it's great, but I do think that it's definitely considerable if you're in a low-color red deck. Um, yeah. The removal side of it is not fantastic, but it definitely can be helpful. Uh, and the three life for it to become untapped is going to be mainly irrelevant unless you're playing Ad Nauseam, which if you're playing red, you're probably playing black, so you might be. But I, I do think Shatter Skull Smashing is a, a decent consideration maybe as a as a yeah, worthy note i agree i think that's like the only one that's a consideration yeah. in many respects and uh comes close to challenging I, I i would agree with you comes close to challenging some of these lands uh and is the one that's seen the most amount of play in cdh yeah absolutely um on to our last card um based category um is the best reprint of 2020 and uh i w was gonna toss this to dylan but dylan said no idea sorry i'm not familiar with that card dylan <laughs> i'm sorry um, i don't keep up with reprints very much after looking at what you guys said i, th I think i have a, an opinion but i don't really know okay um well, well, well i'll start it off here for us and uh my opinion here is uh i would give this uh slot to three visits and uh, the reason being is uh, three visits it was definitely uh, in need of quite the reprint. And a lot of people are just going to go, oh, yeah, it's just an uncommon. It just gets you a forest. But, yeah, it also gets you a forest. Um, and it can be a non-basic forest. And it's really good in the decks that it sees play in. And uh, a lot of times in, like, teamer decks want to play three visits. And uh, maybe some of these Sans Black decks want to be uh, playing just three visits. And I'm always a fan of those decks getting accessibility to more people so we can see more variety uh, in our metagame. And three visits being reprinted certainly uh, made people more uh, definitely want to be uh, playing some decks that can play three visits a lot more than they they were maybe when it was, you know, a couple hundred dollar card. Um, but Pongo, what is your pick for best reprint of 2020? So I, I picked a card that I think people are actually playing. Um, <laughs> so I think <gasps> shots <wow>. fired. Duck. <laughs> uh, I, I actually think there was a lot of really good reprints this year. Um, you know, when I saw this category, the first thing that came to mind was actually like carpet of flowers and Ristic study, uh, which got reprinted, I think in like mystery booster, um, and in like, jumpstart. And in Jumpstart, correct. Rustic Study uh, was in Jumpstart. Yeah, both both cards that you know see a lot of play and are very very powerful in this format. And you know the more copies of them circulating, the better. Um, but the card that I ultimately ended up going with uh, was Vampiric Tutor. And I know it's not like the most glamorous pick. It's not the most exciting pick. But this is such a staple in the format. You know, having this be eighty, ninety, a hundred dollars. Uh, you know, is certainly something of a barrier to entry. Uh, and now, you know, I think they're going for half that price, $40, $50, at least for the time being. Uh, but that's that price is not going to stick for sure. Like 
pick up that card while you can run out and and buy yourself one or two um and and yeah because i fully expect that card to be back up in the 100 dollars range uh you know before too long just because it's it's such a powerful card and uh you, you play it in every single black deck bar none um and you play it i think in the majority of decks in the format Ugh, excuse me disagree. yeah absolutely um you know cobble uh what was your pick for best reprint of 2020 i also went with three visits just like you and um that's less about you know the the, the card seeing widespread play but um even though Vampiric Tutor, you know, had kind of a high barrier to entry, uh, three visits just had an absolutely <laughs> absurd, unnecessary barrier. And you know, for you know, this this was the first time I've ever actually been able to get my hands on one. You know, because I was not going to spend ninety dollars on Nature's <laughs> Lore. So, um, I, I I think that you know this this is the kind of reprint that is. Um, great not just for cedh but also for edh in general because um i and we can get into a discussion about nature's lore and and three visits as far as being uh, compared to mana rocks as far as you know two mana acceleration that gives you one mana uh you know after that um i i, I think that they could see more play but uh, that's maybe a discussion for for maybe uh, another forum but it's a great reprint and i'm glad to finally own one and i know that i'm not the only person in that position yeah absolutely and the new art i mean good grief it's beautiful yeah um dylan now i will yeah I know I you will said say... no idea sorry but what'd you what'd you end up landing on so after listening to what y'all are saying, uh, I, I will say that Vampiric Tutor would be my pick. I think that's a great one. But I will say that I do appreciate the three visits reprint a little bit more just because I wasn't sure if they would ever actually reprint three visits. And knowing that they did means that they have the ability to reprint Imperial. Seal, that is exactly is where I'm coming like, from. Yeah, it, that now they they'll do it. It comes from the same set, so it it's on their radar. They must know it exists and it's a problem. And they they see they they know the price. They tell you that they don't. They know. How do they not know? It's ridiculous. Right. But that's a five hundred dollar card, and that's like one of the three cards that I still don't own and won't buy in CDH because it's just impossible. Time Twister, Guy's Cradle, and Imperial Seal. I just it's too high for me. Right. Um. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow your mind right now. The powers that up? be have the power to reprint any card that's true they do they have the powers but three visits signify that they will reprint cards like imperial seal because it comes from the same set i'm still not sure that they will reprint the others i mean especially since they've already reprinted grim tutor as well in a in, yes, in a core true. set um i mean I, I i think that the willingness is there and it's just a matter of when yeah them reprinting grim Tutor. i was actually really blown away by them reprinting grim tutor um in a core set i was like oh wow that seems good now i thought it would be a lot better and standard than it actually ended up being it's not a uh, good card. just because like what'd you say it's not a good card <laughs> yeah um but i wanted you know, it to be the full art is so pretty i wanted to play in cdh and it was just like no the rate's too bad it's not worth it yeah um but yeah so i mean just the fact that they're willing to reprint some of those things is huge to me and um you know i it it, it also seemed come it would stand to reason that they're probably going to reprint it pretty soon uh, because like a lot of the all the judge promos from 2020 were all um, were all tutors of some sort. Um, 
and I believe the new ones are not um, tutors for this next coming year, but um, they certainly showed like they printed reprinted. Um, what's the one that sees play in Legacy all the time? The the two mana one, um, the two mana tutor. The one that why am I blinking so hard? Where you're hellbent. The one that has yeah, the one that has hellbent on it. Oh my goodness! In in um. Shoot, it's not Infernal Tutor. It's not. Is it? Yeah, Infernal it is Tutor. Infernal yeah, Tutor. Yeah, it is Infernal yeah that's Tutor. it. <laughs> um, man, but they like reprinted stuff like that, and so it's like they 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 clearly are willing to do it, um, and so that's right. a big thing for me. But now, on to the big ones. Do we want the to... stuff that you're all been waiting for? Hey Cal, do we want to do best deck yeah. first and then most improved? Since the most improved became the most improved because the best deck left. We can do that for sure. Does that make more sense? Um, sure. Um, so, uh, without further ado, um, we are going to give you the best deck of 2020, and this was a unanimous decision. Um, and Cobble, I'm going to toss this to you. So, the whole group decided this. What was the best deck of 2020? Um, with the printing of Thassa's Oracle. While Flash was still legal, there was a uh, coalescing of all of the different variants of Hulk decks, of Flash Hulk decks that existed. Um, there, previous to Thassa's Oracle being printed, there were many, uh, people would argue, equally viable variations on uh, different types of Hulk piles that could be approached and, you know, different strategies uh, underpinning how it was to, to go about uh, getting you know their 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 Flash Hulk executed, um, Thassa's Oracle immediately caused all of those competing variations to disappear overnight. Quite literally, <laughs> the discords all got deleted, <laughs> um, and everybody focused on the the one true deck, Sushi Hulk, and um, it created a a metagame that was i mean when, when people it was horrible i mean you you <laughs> it it's on the order of magnitude of kind of like the, the the combo winter that happened during urza block i don't know if anybody else was alive during urza block but i i lived through that and that was terrible and uh the affinity during uh the first mirrodin block um i mean the amount of degeneracy that that deck brought to the metagame was similar mm-hmm. to the experience of both of those eras uh, for, for CEDH. Uh, to the point... For me, it always reminds me of uh, the Eldrazi winter in modern. Right. Um, it What it did was, because of the fact that anybody who wanted to be able to... you know any, Anyone who had access to two mana at any point could execute the combo in its entirety over the top of anybody else, regardless of what was on the stack. So the what wound up happening is you know the best way to stop flash hulk is by running flash hulk um and and what you would see is you would see one person attempt flash and then another person cast flash over the top of them and execute the combo and win over the top of somebody else's win con that was on the stack and because of the fact that it was it required no board state so whenever i you know talked i talked about this a lot when when flash was still legal um the it was a two-pronged thing it was zero state 
as in you needed no board state invested before executing the combo. And it was instant speed, which means that it could have been top to bottom executed you know, at, at any point on any player's turn. So because there's no state involved and you can do it at any point, everyone, it, it, it paralyzed all gameplay. Everybody had to be shields up from turn one every game with the expectation that anybody who had two mana open could win at any point. So it created this extremely slow, undeveloped kind of a game. Because our gameplay that we have now, you know, people develop very quickly because the expectation is that, well, on my turn, chances are no one's going to win over the top of me. Um, we didn't have those types of presumptions during, you know, when when Sushi Hulk existed. So people, as a consequence, people didn't develop, you know, or they developed very, very slowly because they always needed to keep interaction open for the chance that at any point in the game, starting from turn one, anybody could go off. It was a miserable experience. And um, that type of a deck that is so good that the only way to compete with it is to also play with it. You know, we see this in standard, you know, you would, well, the, all the Oko decks that, you know, have, you know, were, you know, banned out of existence over the past 12 months. Um, it's, it was without precedent. The, and, you know, I, I think that no one will argue that it was the strongest deck in the history of CEDH, and we are glad that it's gone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dylan, what are your thoughts on uh, how how the the meta game was warped <laughs> during the uh, the sushi winter? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I probably have a little bit of a different opinion. I actually didn't mind the Hulk decks. I played Hulk Sushi Hulk. I thought it was obviously it was the most powerful deck in the world. That's why I played it. Um, but I didn't mind that that style of play. That was in the ballpark of when I got into CDH. I got in a, a little bit before that, but I was playing a lot when when Hulk was. When Hulk was around, so I didn't mind it, but I I completely understand why it needed to go. Any deck where the only way to beat the deck is to play the deck is not a healthy meta game. I I still enjoy playing those games because they're fun, but um, it's not healthy for meta game. So Sushi Hulk is definitely my best deck of the year, of the century, of the format. Of it's the best deck. But after Sushi Hulk, uh, I should should we say what my my best deck afterwards, or should I hold off on? Is that the most improved? It probably would be the most improved. So let's hold off on that. All right, I'll, I'll hold because I, yeah, I said Hulk and then something else, but the something else is what's improved. So I will say Sushi Hulk, best deck. Yeah, um, and Pongo, your thoughts about the best deck. Well, I mean, I don't know that there's too much more to add on top of what Cobblepot said other than to, you know, let's do a little retrospective and, and you know, like let's not forget the fact that it's not even all that long ago that Flash was banned. Um, you know, we're, we're not even, what, six months? <laughs> we're like maybe coming up on six, seven months, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Wasn't it banned in February? Feel free to correct me if I thought I'm it was wrong banned in that. February of 20. Wasn't? Yeah. I thought it, for some reason, I thought it, it was, was banned April. a month after. Th- it was a month after. I mean, even April is it's longer than six months. Well, um, we'll be coming up on like seven months then, right? Um, oh no, wait. I'm just I'm just tired. Anyway, uh, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but but in any case, it, it hasn't even been all that long. Um, and so, certainly, like 
I think that like it took some amount of time for the meta to adjust and we're kind of settling into a new space now. Um, and I think it really took until just a couple a few months ago um, for us to really kind of like settle into uh, what are what, what's sort of like the air apparent to Sushi Hulk. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, we, we can finally start to actually discuss what the sort of new meta is, uh, you know, following Sushi Hulk's uh, sort of untimely demise. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I do think that it, it's warranted or it was warranted at the time. And, you know, I, I'm glad to see that deck gone. Um, although I, I would say it, it would I am intrigued by, like, the thought of what would the metagame look like now if it was still around? Because I do Gross, feel like the disgusting. format, the format has powered up so significantly within the last so year much in this last year, yeah. That I do wonder, you know, if we would be complaining about it as much. I think we would. We have seen any of. I don't think we have seen any of the uh, creativity and deck design we have seen in the past year if it wasn't for the banning of Flash, and because everybody would just be like, "Oh, we shouldn't do this. Just play Flash." I think and that, so we'd see all these strategy pushing that into it. Right. Um, when we talk about the most improved deck, I think that'll be an appropriate place to maybe talk about why I don't think that's the case. I think that Sushi Hulk would yeah. still be reigning supreme and and uh, making everything else just untenable. Yeah. Well, um, so for the most improved deck of 2020, drumroll, please... Uh, the best deck of 2020, or the most improved deck of 2020, excuse me, is the Turbo Nas archetype. And uh, so, Dylan, if you would, just give us a little bit of background on what Turbo Nas is and uh, what's made it so good the, here this year. Sure. Yeah, I can do my best. Uh, so Turbo Nas is trying to cast Ad Nauseam as quickly as possible and having such a low mana cost throughout your deck that your Ad Nauseam will win you the game. Normally with Athas's Oracle Consultation, sometimes helped out by Underworld Breach, Lion's Eye Diamond with Brain Freeze can also help you mill out your entire library to find the Oracle if you weren't unable to or to mill out all of your opponents if you needed to do it that way. Um, I think it's probably, if you ask most CDH players, if they would probably tell you that Turbo Nas is the best deck in CDH, but they probably wouldn't agree on who the best commanders are it for. I think for a <laughs> while, Krom and Timna, at least for me, I assumed Krom and Timna to be um, the best. Blue Farm was the best Turbo Ad Nauseam deck. But after all these new partners come out, I'm really not sure. Um, you really want to be in Grixis more than anything. You, your Tainted Packs and your Demonic Consultations are in black. Your Thassa Oracles are in blue. Obviously, Ad Nauseam is in black. Um, and then your Underworld Breaches are in red. So Grixis is where you need to be, but you can kind of branch out on if you want to be playing um, Partners or if you want to be playing Obeka or if you want to be playing Kess or if you want to be playing, um, you know, like I said, whichever Partners. Um, but obviously, since we can play four colors, I think a lot of people went to the blue farm, which adds white to the Grixis, um, which really, in my mind, gives you Savine's Reclamation, making Intuition a one-card combo. Um, allowing you to, no matter what, that they give you off of your intuition pile, you'll still be able to find a win. And obviously, Grand Abolisher and Silence are really good in those decks as well, as well as just Timna being really good for white. Um, I've recently been playing Chrome Ikra, uh, which is a four-color, basically the exact same Turbo Nas deck, but I'm using Crop Rotation to find Emergent Zone and Beseju. 
um, playing like Deathrite Shaman because it's good in the mirror and Noxious Revival because it's helpful and also good in the mirror. I'm not sure if it's right to go down that route. I'm just trying it out and there's a lot of my favorite cards in it. So I'm playing it for that reason and I also think it's good. Um, but then there's also obviously the five color version of this deck where you'd probably play Golos. I think some people might play Kenrith, but I think Golos is probably the best bet because you get to find Besaidu off of the Golos. Um, but in my opinion, although five colors would be best if you needed all the five colors, I don't think that you do. And I think it might be better to play partners than to play uh, not partners. Um, just It's easier to use like Deflecting Swat and stuff like that. Um, and then also... Chrome, I think, just uses Jewel Lotus much better. But to be honest, Jewel Lotus is also really good. It's, I'm going to go off on a whole different thing. It's impossible to say <laughs> who. But um, Turbo Nas is probably the best way to win the game. I just have no idea what the best way to get there is. I mean, that's that's super fair. Um, you know, there's a lot to do with the, the Nas strategy, I feel like, is very wide open, um, personally. Um, but, you know, Pongo, what's your kind of opinion here on the Turbo Nas strategy as somebody who's um, been pretty high on the Roger Silas farm? Yeah, so um, I've played a fair bit of Turbo Nas and, I, Nas and I, I, I do agree that it is certainly the most improved deck of 2020. And, uh, you know, as, as everyone was alluding to and saying, um, you know, the new red cards that we've gotten are no small part of that. Um, you know, losing uh, Hulk as sort of like another sort of like major contender, I think just uh, puts it like way back in the forefront where, where people are looking for like the best deck to be playing. Um, you know, Nas has been good in CDH, I think, for as long as CDH has existed. And, uh, you know, some people may be unaware of that fact or may have forgotten uh if they predominantly played around like you know the time hulk was legal or if that's like when they got into the format but certainly like nas was i would say the major pillar of the format up until protean hulk being unbanned um and you know kind of fell out of the spotlight a little bit but it's only reasonable that it comes back to the forefront as sort of the foremost win condition of the format, um, you know, without really any kind of um, um, competitor uh, on the horizon. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it, it exploits the dynamics of the format 40 life too, too heavily for it not to be such a major player. Um, and, you know, the sort of turbo NOS strategy, I think only really, the only real innovation of that strategy is to it, it's the innovation of the, the the things that this strategy has gotten has been predominantly new cards to be to be totally honest and i mean like because nas has always been good and then you know you add doxot extortionist to the mix you add um uh, underworld breach to the mix and you're essentially just like firing on all cylinders with with these types of strategies um so so yeah i wouldn't say that it's anything new per se if you've been playing the format for a long time but it does feel like you know you're even more incentivized to be going down that road than ever before yeah for sure um you know and cobble i know you have opinions on turbo Nas. what are your thoughts so um i i think that the the card that has benefited turbo Nas the most was not printed in 2020 but it was Doxide Extortionist. And um, 
the thing that actually allowed Turbo Nas to become the most improved deck was the the exit of Sushi Hulk. So, um, like I was saying before, the the climate of the metagame while Sushi Hulk was a thing was that uh, universally you had stymied development. The thing that separates traditional Nas, I'll call, uh, from Turbo Nas is this kind of huge amount of devotion towards acceleration. Just acceleration at all costs, um, firing out all of these these effects that we have access to now, you know, where, where you've got Nas for sure, but you also have Peer into the Abyss, and you've got, you know, Underworld Breach, you've got all of these things, you've got Dockside Extortionist that's helping you to get there, but, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing an amount of acceleration people putting into their lists that is without precedent. Um, this could never have happened while Sushi Hulk was was in print, just because its existence required people to slow down their development and run more more stack-based interaction to be able to stop opposing Flash Hulk lists from being able to go off. So when when Flash Hulk went away, that kind of blew the lid off of what people could do from the standpoint of acceleration. And thus, Turbo Nas was born, and that is why Turbo Nas was kind of able to kind of come into its own and leverage all of the new tools that it got. So um, that is why I think that Turbo Nas is, is the most improved. So sorry, Sushi Hulk. Um, glad you're gone, and glad that Turbo Nas has kind of taken its place. You guys know what the real best, uh, most improved deck of 2020 is, though, right? Don't say Lavinia. He's going to say Lavinia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I can, well, I, Dylan, I do want to add Dylan is never quick. coming back, just for the record. <laughs> like, what, who, why are you guys talking about Lavinia so much? I, if I can, I do want to add one more honorable mention to uh, most improved deck. I think the evolution-style decks are actually improved a ton. Um, if we're going on, like, most improved, I don't think Ad Nauseam got quite as much as the evolution decks did. Ad Nauseam was already good, and I don't know if the evolution decks were. Um, so basically, Evolution or Advantage or any of the Blue Pod style decks of really using Neoform Eldritch Evolution to find creatures. I think stuff like Zerda, Kinnon, and Emil really helped that like Sands Black Seedborn Muse, Seedborn Muse Thrasios strategy. Um, I played a lot of that deck this year, so I think that was also a very improved deck of the year. Agreed. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Cobble, you uh, did a lot of work on uh, Advantage Thrasios, didn't you? Um, I mean. Yeah, I I created Advantage Thrasios, so um, that's what I thought. Right? Um, yeah, I would agree. I, I I think that it you know kind of came into being this year, and um, just kind of throughout the 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 course of the year, just kind of more and more things kept on getting added. You know, oh, there's a Kinnon. Oh, there's a Zerda. Oh, there's an Emiel. Um, that just kind <laughs> of continually uh, Im- improved it throughout the course of the year, but. Um, I, I, I would still, you know, I'm sticking to Turbo Nas as, as the, the thing that kind of had the, the, the largest increase in its, you know, volume, <laughs> uh, definitely in, yeah, in the definitely. metagame for sure. Well, onto our final category for the night. Uh, we've been at this for a while now, but, uh, we are getting here close to the end is the best commander of 2020 um who is the best commander 
um, of 2020 and why. And so uh, we're, we like to be nice to our guests here. Uh, so we generally try to our last one. We're going to give off to Dylan. So, Dylan, um, what was the best commander of 2020 in your opinion? Uh, so for me, it was uh, Jessica, I think, as far as best commanders printed in 2020. Um, I think Jessica is at least my favorite. It's done so much. Every time I cast it, it's a three for one. And every once in a while, when you get to like make your Sarah Ascendant and 1818 flying, it, that just feels nice, too. <laughs> um, so yeah, Jessica, Jessica giving Mad Farm an actual outlet in the command zone that is reasonably playable, can be played off of a turn one Mana Crypt. Uh, it's just it, it's good in a lot of ways. It, it it lets lets it lets you play the cards that you want to play, and is good against the cards that your opponents want to play. So Jessica's the one for me. Okay, yeah, awesome. Pongo, um, what was your choice for best commander of 2020? Oh, I think it's it's probably better that uh, you ask Cobblepot first. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Y'all know what he's gonna say. All right, Cobble, Cobble, what is uh, your choice for best commander of 2020? Um, I, I would say the best commander of 2020 was Chrome, and when I say that, I mean Chrome X. Uh, throughout the year, we had, um, I mean, Chrome plus Timna for you know either the Opus Thief or or Blue Farm. Uh, we also saw lists that had you know Chrome Thrasios. We see lists that have Chrome Ikra, and now we're starting to see you know the new crop of Chrome Tevish lists that are. Um, extremely explosive and I, I i think that at you know the the framework of what happened in the last year with the exit of sushi hulk and turbo Nas coming in uh we're, we're seeing just kind of this um renaissance of explosive highly active decks that want to be casting lots of spells every single turn and uh there is, I, th I think, nobody who benefits more from that than Chrome decks, and so I think that Chrome is extremely well positioned and and was, I think, you know, through the entirety of of, of 2020, and I'm excited to see what decks that have Chrome as one of its commanders are going to be doing in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I know Braden will be glad to hear you say that. There you go, Braden. Um. That one's for you. <laughs> Uh, all right, Pongo, uh, it's now around to you. What is your choice for the best commander well, of 2020? Well, I noticed that you and I picked the same one, we so why, why, don't same you, why don't we hear it from you? So uh, I chose Najila as the best commander of 2020. Ooh, um, my boy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say that if um, Sushi Hulk didn't exist this year and it was banned in 2019, I would say that... Uh, Najila Tempo was the best deck of 2020. It's the most consistently good. Um, it just, I, I've never seen it um, be bad. Um, it's just such a good deck. And it's like this, it's like this Swiss army knife of win conditions where everything's just so compact and nice and slim and everything feels good in that deck. Um, and I've just, I, I don't like playing it personally, uh, because it's just not the type of game plan that I want to be on, but I think it's the best deck in the format and I don't think it's very close. Um, but you know, uh, so Najila is my pick for best commander. Um, and so Pongo obviously picked that also. So expand yeah. a little bit there. For well, I'm, I'm a little biased, which is why I wanted <laughs> you to start it off. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know, I, I am biased, um, and, you know, I, I'm not going to try to hide that whatsoever, but um, 
you know, I feel like Najila has benefited from every card that we've talked about today. Um, pretty much, you know, there's still a few, I would say, unsolved problems with Najila in, in the sense that, like, you know, it, it hasn't fully been cracked how to, like, play Underworld Breach in that deck. Um, you know, you could just jam it as kind of like a generic value piece and like do that. And, you know, you can theoretically also just play it to like, um, you could like theoretically like demonic consultation into it and then like demonic consultation again and then demonic consultation again. You know, these are like all lines that you can do. But, um, the main thing that like Najila sort of has always had going for her is that as Callahan was saying, it's like that deck is like a rock. Um, you know, it's just, it's got a plan that it plays to so consistently and plans that it plays to so consistently. Uh, and then like everything about that deck is just kind of built around effectuating that plan, um, or generating advantage or protecting that plan or, you know, uh, defending yourself from opponents win attempts, um, you know, such that like, it just feels fantastic to play. Uh, you don't, usually have to mulligan super super aggressively to find a ton of mana because the win conditions for that deck are you know actually super mana efficient when you like look at them uh, on the surface you know they just kind of tend to require that you have some board presence uh to actually to win but Najila brings all of that um and you know that's not to say the deck doesn't have you know like counterplay against it or you know like you know some things that some pod dynamics that might be more challenging to play against but there's never really been a situation where i felt like completely out of the game whatsoever uh playing that deck and i pretty much while playing that deck always feel like i've got you know some kind of option to convert into like a fast win um or to you know interact with my opponents or essentially just to generate some kind of advantage you know adapt to any type of different pod um so you know it's it's really kind of what you would expect out of a five color commander with one card win conditions um you know it's just got that perfect in my opinion combination of like linear play in the sense that you've always got the very clear line of Najila into derevi um with you know sort of like these like wide variety of choices you can make throughout a game um to adapt to different pods and to like pursue sort of different plans that the deck supports uh like adnaws or uh like thassa's oracle lines uh in the event that uh, that main plan doesn't seem tenable um so you know where you trade some card advantage in the command zone against a deck like thrasios timna you just gain so much in terms of focus as far as i'm concerned and and you know that is always sort of a strength of like a top-down deck versus a bottom-up deck is this like ability to have your deck be focused around your game plan kind of like fully as opposed to kind of just being a pile of cards um you know a lot of thrasios timna decks you know for better or for worse ended up being kind of like good stuff piles and the issue with those types of decks is um, you know, the whole plan is in the deck and sometimes that leads you to not necessarily having like the best possible draws. Um, whereas with Najila, you know, you always have a plan in the command zone. Um, and it's a plan, you know, to win as opposed to just grind value, which I think is, you know, exceptionally powerful. So what I'm hearing you say is that, um, 
Najila is just a vehicle for you to continue standing on Derevi in a deck that can actually win. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I, I don't deny that whatsoever. <laughs> I think I... that that was the thing that drew me to Najila in the first place, was Derevi being a win condition in the deck. I, I seriously, I stand by here, um, and I'll say this as loudly as possible. The best version of Sushi Hulk was the Najila Sushi Hulk, personally. It just oh, got you from every angle. So good. Yeah, What'd you say? I, I don't know if I agree I, pl- with that, I played but... that. I played that deck. It was so good. It could really win from every single angle. I don't know if it was the best Sushi Hulk deck, but it, I always felt like there was 700 ways I yeah. could win the game. Right? That's that's how that's Phoenix played that deck a lot. Um and it was a nightmare to deal, like, play against. Um, and I just, like, I thought it was harder to game plan against Najila Sushi Hulk than it was against just TNT Sushi Hulk. Because TNT Sushi Hulk is kind of a one-trick pony. You know what they're doing. Um, now, it's hard to time against it. There was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of stuff that went into that. But with Najila Sushi Hulk, they could be doing their their Najila stuff and you like have to deal with that. And then they're like, OK, well, you know, now that you've dealt with that, I guess I'm just going to Sushi Hulk on top of you and win. Um, and it, it, it just I, I thought that was the best version of it. And so like now, even even without it, I just I will. I still think if Sushi Hulk had been banned in 2019, I would hold uh, Najila Tempo as the best deck of 2020. But um, yeah, Najila is my pick. So, um, so here to wrap things up, we're gonna do uh, a little segment here where we're gonna talk about our predictions for what we expect to see in 2021. Um, and you know, I'll kind of kick things off here for us is what we kind of expect to see in 2021. In my opinion is, uh, I think there will be a proliferation of prison and stack strategies, uh, that are going to continue to perform well, and they're going to see more play, uh, as a way of countering turbo decks. Um, and, uh, this is something we're already seeing right now is, uh, a lot of those strategies are starting to become more popular. Uh, because they're very effective against um, Turbo Nas decks. Um, not to, you know, name drop again, uh, but a deck that is very good against Turbo Nas is Lavinia. Because a turn one Lavinia kind of ends the game for, like, they have to be able to remove the Lavinia in order to win. Um, they cannot win through that. Um, and so it, it's just, there's... And there's a lot of work being done to kind of make Lavinia's win cons a little bit better. Uh, but there also are, are a lot of other, you know, we've seen, you know, like King K rule. We've seen fair magic. We've seen those decks uh, pop up and be effective. And uh, that's just kind of what I expect to see out of 2021. Um, Pongo, what do you anticipate to see here in 2021? So I, I hope everyone's looking at our at the, the same spreadsheet here and just what I wrote in, in all capital letters, powerful white cards. Here you come. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, certainly something of a meme uh, these days because of, uh, you know, high expectations for white cards coming out of Commander Legends that were not really met, at least as far as uh, competitive EDH is concerned. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that this is something that Wizards is going to continue to try to actually address. Um, I think that they have heard players' feedback um, and were sort of 
only at the beginning of you know where we're actually going to see sort of the fruits of their endeavors uh to to make more powerful white cards for commander um you know i think that we saw that with red last year clearly um and i think that 2021 will be white's time to shine at long long last um (laughs) and i do think that uh some number of these cards are going to slot into you know like you were saying these stack strategies um and we're at a point now where um you know it does feel like we can kind of sort out our interaction packages a little bit better for um you know our interactive staxy type decks and i agree that you know with a clearer metagame to attack uh we'll probably or i I hope we'll see a resurgence of uh you know decks that look to attack those types of decks in turn um so i think powerful white cards will further play into what you're saying um and empower prison and stack strategies uh, even more um yeah one thing to note there too is that um I, i think a lot of people don't understand the the true length of lag between development at Wizards of the Coast and the release of product. Right. Um, they've been talking about, you know, they're, 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 they're talking about, you know, increasing the power level of white and, you know, making some, some real intentional choices there to, to, to bring some, some, some power uh, in, into that region of the color pie. Um, the, the cards we're seeing come out now were, were designed multiple years ago. So it, there, there's a huge lag between uh you know those those two events you know the development to actually yeah typically like 2 years right yeah up to 2 years so they they've been talking about it feels like they've been talking about you know this this initiative for a while um we we are just now starting to see some of that stuff hit and to what you said i i think in in 21 and probably even in 22 we're going to start seeing um a lot of those intentional efforts actually hit the street so it'll be an exciting time, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, but what are your uh, then predictions uh, for 2020? So, um, or 2021, excuse me. Yeah, for 2021, um, with with the exit of of, of Sushi Hulk, um, so Rule of Law was not particularly great against Flash Hulk. It actually made Flash Hulk decks better. Um, but <laughs> along with Trinisphere, right? And a few yeah. other pieces, right? Um, but with the exit of Flash Hulk, uh, people, I, I, I think, you know, there, there were multiple people in in the community that kind of had the realization that rule of law it was kind of the premier, most effective way of dealing with kind of the boogeyman in the format. Rule of law makes it such that you know you really can't m- execute a Thassa's Oracle plus consult at all, you know, unless you're willing to string it across turn boundaries, which is high risk. Um, and also, you know, it, it completely invalidates ad nauseum strategies and makes underworld breach strategies untenable as well. So it's, it's kind of this, you know, we, 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 it's, it's become the accepted stacks strategy for dealing with the metagame. And we're seeing more, you know, with Archon of Ameria, kind of like more instances of it being printed. And people have kind of found out how to, you know, further accentuate 
the you know disparity by coupling those things with you know possibility storm or knowledge pool and that kind of thing and we we're you know just starting to see success in the tournament scene with people like Michael Levine you know doing Heliod uh with you know Ferrer Magic you know to some extent there as well um it it hasn't been embraced a lot but people are starting to see those results and you know spark interest there as well and i think what's going to happen is as we see the kind of uh the dominance of turbo nas decks and you know highly active decks of that ilk deepen in 2021 i think that you're going to see a kind of a, a surge of rule of law tribal decks um kind of rise in contention with that to attack the metagame from that angle and um we're you know starting to see a little bit of it through through 2020 i think that with the you know potentially with the new white cards that we should be seeing in 2021 and just with kind of the growing acceptance of people willing to take that up as a strategy we are going to see that kind of gain more of a foothold and have kind of a bigger presence and market share in the metagame in 2021 yeah, absolutely. Um, and so we're going to cap this off with Dylan. Dylan, what are your predictions for 2021? Oh, geez. My predictions are actually uh, kind of opposite. Um, so I actually think someone is – I think Ad Nauseam is going to – uh, go above and beyond the the stack stacks. I, I think someone's going to figure out the definitive best turbo Nas list. Uh, I think people, I don't know. I shouldn't make presumptions about people, but in my opinion, I have found that CDH it is often most advantageous to be offensive rather than defensive. Um, it's just your win rate is higher if you're playing the best deck in the format rather than trying to beat the best deck in the format. I found that to be true in other formats when I played Hogak or when I played Eldrazi's. It's just better to play that deck than it is to play the deck that beats that deck i think um and i think that's even more so true in multiplayer um it's just because of the way turn order works because of the way that there's four different players i think it's just better to be aggressive so i think more people i think that my prediction is that turbo ad nauseum is going to get the most eyes on it this year over any other deck which is going to push it more than any other deck just because more people are going to be looking at it so that's my opinion for 2021 more turbo nas that sounds More like a, sounds like a gauntlet <laughs> being thrown down and a uh, a setting for another gameplay video. <laughs> More yeah. Nas, rule of law well, versus uh, Adnaz. Let's do the the triple stacks one turbo Adnaz deck. Yes, and, 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 and we'll you get Morgan to play the turbo Adnaz deck. <laughs> the amount of comments that I get for people asking for best stacks deck that is an absolute nightmare that I get asked for quite a bit and I never want to actually do. Like Bring us four on. best what stacks against each four stack stacks like the best stack stacks four stack stacks oh. against each other. Uh, been we'll do there, it. done that. We don't, we tried don't that. Do it. Yeah, don't that's, do that. that's just like you. Saturday yeah, night. It was a three and a half hour game that's sitting on my hard drive, and I refused to look at it. Um, it we'll was... make it available to to the yeah, Patreon. That's like, that's like a, an unedited Patreon pages <laughs> at some point. And and I won that game, and I want to burn it with fire. It was awful. <laughs> it was the worst game I've ever played in my entire life. Soul crushing. Um, but thank you all for joining us today. On yeah, but anyway. <laughs> um, you did that voice and made me want to do it. You're welcome. Um, 
But yeah, so Dylan, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, I know we've done some collaborations with you this past week, and uh, it's honestly been a real pleasure. Uh, We've been a fan of your channel for a while, and uh, so it's great to get to do some crossover work with you and get to know you and Cam. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm happy to help and happy to be on, and uh, yeah, thank you for having me. This was a blast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thank you, the listeners, and, well, I guess viewers also are on YouTube, if you're uh, still for checking us, us out um, and uh, listening to us for the past two and a half hours uh, discuss uh, what the best cards were we thought of this year. Um, if you like what we're doing and you want to help support the show, uh, make sure to like and subscribe. I need to say that more throughout our videos. Right. <laughs> um but make sure to like and subscribe. Uh, and also, if you want to check us out on Patreon, uh, there is a link down below. We have a couple different tiers, um, and that greatly helps us out. We really appreciate our patrons. Uh, so uh, go check that out. Uh, but with that, thank you all for joining us. And uh, with that, we are going to see you next week. We've got a really awesome episode lined up for you guys next week where me, Cobble, Spleen, and I, I believe Phoenix is who's joining us on that are uh, going to be coming at you with our first ever Brewer's Choice episode. So that'll be really fun and exciting. I'm so excited to bring it to you guys. So uh, you'll have to keep your eyes peeled for that one. Uh, so until then, thanks for listening to the Mind Sculptors, and we'll see you next week.